Tech Night Owl Live, the show for PC users who can handle the truth. And now, here's your host, Gene Steinberg. This week on the Tech Night Owl Live, we'll be exploring the WWDC event at Apple with the new versions of OS X and the iOS and the new MacBook Pro with Retina Display. Our guests include Kirk McElhern, author and commentator, Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine, and John Martellero of the Mac Observer. All this and so much more on the Tech Night Owl Live. <laughs> With Kirk McElhern joining us, he is the iTunes guy and also runs macosxhints.com, both for Macworld. But the topic of our discussion will start with the feature we never expected to succeed, and that's Ping from iTunes, and it looks like it's going to go Pong. Tell us the history and the sad story of Ping. Well, Ping hasn't been around long. It was added to iTunes in September 2010, so what, a year and a half. In my opinion, it died pretty quickly afterwards. I didn't use it. I didn't see other people using it. I hardly ever saw anything that came out of Ping on other you know, social networks. But Apple's idea with Ping was to create a social network for music, and it's a brilliant idea. But I think that one of the main reasons it failed was that because it was locked into a proprietary application, in other words, iTunes, iTunes on a computer or iTunes also on iOS, you couldn't access it from a web browser. You couldn't just click on a bookmark and check it out. It's like you're walking into a store to make a phone call instead of making a phone call on your cell phone out in the street. So people would have to go into the storefront to do anything with Ping, and it's just a hassle. I mean, there are plenty of other problems with it that you couldn't really do much. You couldn't talk about anything other than something on iTunes. You couldn't create a post that didn't have a relationship to a a product on iTunes. Now, a social network, sure, it's about music, but maybe someone's going to be posting, well, hey, I play guitar and here's my website and check out my music. Or, you know, here's a band I really like whose music isn't sold on iTunes. There still are a few. So unfortunately, you know, Apple tried to make this too much of a marketing tool and didn't really think about what people would really want to do with it. We don't know that it's going to die yet. Tim Cook said in a what was it, a call with analysts a month or so ago that people weren't liking it? And there have been reports that it was going to be cut out of the next version of iTunes, which will probably be in the fall. Well, it um, was at the All Things Digital conference. Right, that's where it was. Yeah. And he was asked a question about it, and he didn't say, yes, it's going to go away then at a specific date and time, but he made very clear it's not something they're putting any love into. Yeah, and there have been some reports this week that suggest that the death of Ping is more imminent than one might expect. Now, one thing to note about Ping is they could turn off Ping at any time. All of the iTunes store content you see in iTunes is just web pages. I mean, iTunes basically acts as a web browser for the iTunes store. So Ping is just part of that page. They can just remove it and they can turn it off tomorrow. They don't need to update iTunes for it. That's a good clarification. Yes, exactly. Now, they may wait until Mountain Lion comes out. They may wait until the next iTunes update for some reason because one thing that's, that is in the iTunes application, there are a couple of options to turn ping off. So those would need an update. So generally, Apple does a major update of iTunes in September. Maybe they'll wait until then. Maybe it'll be with Mountain Lion. Maybe it'll be with iOS 6 a little bit after. Who knows? But ping will go pong. Was part of the problem the fact that Apple couldn't get a deal going with Facebook? Now, that's happening, of course. 
But even then, if you look at the fine print, they promise Facebook support for Mountain Lion, but it will come as a later update that's in the asterisk material. Well, see, now that's, that's interesting that they say that because if we're going to see Mountain Lion in July and they're talking about Facebook in fall, fall corresponds to the time that iTunes could be updated. So it's very possible that they're going to try and slide people from ping over to Facebook at that time. I certainly hope there's not going to be Facebook integration into the iTunes store. There already is the ability to post to Facebook from the iTunes store, but I certainly hope they don't turn the iTunes store into something that can display Facebook pages. That would be horrendous. Yeah, that would be too much. That would be like defeating the purpose of iTunes, but certainly some level of integration isn't bad, is it? Well, as I said, you can you can click on that little arrow button next to the price of any item on iTunes, and you can choose to post to Twitter or to Facebook. So the integration's been there for a while. I think the difference that they wanted to do with Ping was to have things that you would post on Ping also be posted on your Facebook page. This would have possibly made it better, but once you've got the ability to post on Facebook, why do you need to come back to the iTunes store to post? So... It's still the idea of making a social network in a proprietary tool. The social networks we see that work today are all web-based. Facebook, you access from the web, even though you can use an iOS app. Twitter was originally a web program, but you can use third-party tools, but you don't need to. Something like Pinterest is you know, web-based. So all of these things that work are based on the most flexible, accessible platform possible. What was the mistake that Apple made? Well, they stuck it in the iTunes store rather than putting it on... I don't know, iTunes.com slash ping or something like that and having users log in there. Well, they tried. It didn't work. But, you know, this goes against the argument that has been made that Apple is putting out buggy stuff since Steve Jobs died. And we have to remember that ping was here when Steve Jobs was here. We have to remember that Siri was bought when Steve Jobs was here. We have to remember that the iPhone 4S was released on the day before Steve Jobs died, and he was in touch with the company until the very end, it didn't come as a surprise. Apple occasionally releases things that aren't perfect. Certainly iCloud is still not perfect. Yeah, I, th- I think that's important to point out. And the article that we're talking about on my website, I mentioned that you know we're so used to Apple's having successes that a failure stands out all the more. You know, every company is going to have some failures. The the resounding success of of the iPhone will certainly outweigh the failure of Ping or the failure of, you know, Siri. Some people like it, some people don't. For me, it's useless. Even a particular model of a computer that's maybe not selling well, like the Mac Pro, well, there's a, a certain group of users who want it. It's not a big seller. The Apple TV, which was long called a hobby, these were things that weren't the kind of resounding successes that the iPhone were. And I don't think we need to criticize Apple saying that, well, the company sucks now. I think, however, Ping was a pretty high-profile feature that was you know, presented with a lot of noise at a, a, an event in September 2010. One commenter on my website said, you know, maybe it has to do with the fact that Apple doesn't do outside testing and doesn't get a lot of user opinion. And this is true. They don't ever get in touch with us journalists and say, hey, we've got this new thing. Would you like to test it? Yes, but they also don't trust journalists. So if you share something with a journalist, they kind of know that some of them are just going to report the news and they don't want to get into this point of fighting back and forth with journalists, just limit the access. I mean, it used to be easier. Like, for example, if you were writing a book and you want access to Apple products, it's there still used to sort be a of, specific contact for authors, yeah. Right. 
It still kind of sort of happens, but it's not so easy. And remember now that Tim Cook has said that Apple is going to double down on security. On secrecy. Yes. Yeah. He's going to double um, down. It's yep. going to be, if you thought Apple was difficult to get information out of before, think of it now. Except then someone writes a letter to Tim Cook. What's going on with the Mac Pro? Why are you going to discontinue it? And he said, of course we're not. We have some great ideas, and I'm just paraphrasing, and it will come. He said later in 2013, and I wondered if he didn't mean later in 2012, but then Apple officially said 2013. So in a sense then, he did say something that Apple might have wanted to keep a secret, but then we have this class of people who use the Mac Pro, require the Mac Pro, who would even leave the Mac if it wasn't updated. Yeah, I think I think we need to consider that a lot of these emails are intentional leaks in some way. I, I think Tim Cook's answering that email was timely with the release of the so-called updated Mac Pro, which turned out that Apple ended up taking the little new badge off it because it really wasn't updated. They changed uh, one or two chips, and the reason they changed them is because Intel is not making them anymore, so they use somewhat newer or different designs. That's how it goes. Here's yeah. how this goes. We have Kirk McElhern, author and commentator. He writes for Mac World. He is the iTunes guy and does macosxhints.com. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Hey, neighbors. Summer's coming. That means many of us will be spending more time working from home or while traveling. So getting everyone together to a meeting may just be an impossible task. But not if you have GoToMeeting with HD Faces by Citrix. You know, GoToMeeting lets you host meetings with clients and colleagues face-to-face, all while online, no matter where they are. You know, our listeners can try GoToMeeting with HD Faces free for 30 days. Visit GoToMeeting.com. Click the Try It Free button. Use the promo code PODCAST. GoToMeeting.com. The promo code is PODCAST. Download free app. And one more thing. You know, GoToMeeting is giving away eight new iPads on Facebook. All you have to do is visit Facebook and like the GoToMeeting page. Then you can enter to win a new iPad and tell your friends to do the same thing. If they win the iPad, by the way, so will you. Jim Newcomer from Midas Resources, June 15th, 2012. Gold open this morning at 1624.10. A one ounce gold coin can be purchased for 1664.74, 832.37 for a half ounce, or 416.19 for a quarter ounce. That's 1664.74, 832.37, and 416.19. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? Wait a sec. Gold and silver is going up while Congress is trying to settle on the next debt increase. And there's no end to this madness. That old 401k and IRA can be converted into physical gold without tax consequences. I explain this in my book, 10 Reasons to Buy Gold. Don't let time slip away. Call for your free copy today, 800-686-2237. Get away from that Washington spin and get honest answers about gold. 800-686-2237. The book is free, 800-686-2237.
We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years in serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light Systems system today complete with two black berkey elements for only 231 dollars and the berkey guy will ship your order free of charge with the purchase of a berkey light the berkey guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only 39.99 that's over 30 percent off the retail price call the berkey guy at 1-877-886-3653 that's 1-877-886-3653 or order online at goberkey.com that's goberkey.com today There are so many benefits you can get from taking unheated whey protein. It helps put out the fire of inflammation and the pain it is causing. Eliminate the craving for carbohydrates, better sense of well-being, weight loss, muscle strength, energy, and growth, and optimal glutathione production. Glutathione is the number one means by which you detoxify all toxins, and this is vital to you feeling and looking good again. Consuming One World Whey is the most powerful way to raise glutathione. People report the elimination of pain and bloating after one month, as well as an improvement in strength, energy, and blood sugar. Children love the flavor and prefer it over junk food. One World Way is performing mighty miracles for young and old. It is superior, unique, and unprecedented for many other whey protein powder on the market. Call 888-988-3325. Mention coupon code KNOCKOUT and you'll receive a free tube of knockout pain cream with your order, which eliminates soft tissue pain in 10 minutes for 90% of users. Call 888-988-3325 or visit OneWorldWay.com. That's OneWorld, W-H-E-Y.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, please send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. If you'd like to discuss today's show with fellow night owls, visit our community forums at forum.technightowl.com. That's forum.technightowl.com. We have Kirk McElhern, author and commentator. I'm Gene Steinberger in the Tech Night Owl Live. And we started to talk about Ping, which is Apple's social networking feature for iTunes that looks like it's about on the way out. So there you go. So now we have Apple cozying up with Facebook, becoming warm and friendly. But now Facebook, there are concerns you have on your site that Facebook may want way too much of your information. Yeah, I, I spotted this week something interesting that Facebook announced that they released a WordPress plugin. Now, I run my website on WordPress. You do too. Uh, I think WordPress. Everybody think, uses WordPress. The New York Times, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. Yeah, I think Facebook's announcement about this said something to the effect that 17% of content on the web is presented with WordPress. And WordPress is a great platform. I like it. It's free. It's a lot of plugins. We've discussed this before, different plugins that do all sorts of things. So a WordPress, a Facebook plugin for WordPress sounds like a great idea. So I install the plugin and I click to set it up. And to set it up, you've got to go to the Facebook page and declare your website as an app which is fine. But then I get to the create new app window. It says your account must be verified before you can take this action. Please verify your account by adding your mobile phone or credit card. I stopped. Well, I don't recall the credit card one. 
Look, I got. I might have seen a message about the mobile phone number, and I don't care because if I start getting spamming phone calls, I would simply change the phone number. Yeah, I I don't like giving out phone numbers, but a credit card to Facebook. I mean, seriously, do they expect me to give them a credit card number? And so I just deleted the plugin and moved on. I find that extremely dangerous. Facebook has a lot of information. Remember, that's just this is how they make their money on our personal information. Asking for a phone number is already intrusive in my opinion, but asking for a credit card number, I see absolutely absolutely no logic to this. I see no justification. I mean, Facebook has not yet become a platform where you pay for anything. Now, they could conceivably, in the future, charge you for apps that you use on Facebook. They could create an app store. And in that case, you may want to give them a credit card number. But to use a free plugin asking me for a credit card, I'm, I find this actually quite insulting. I have a term for it, but we don't allow it on family radio. Tisk tisk. Tisk tisk. Now, it's interesting here. The quiet period is over now. Facebook is beginning to talk about some of the issues that people have raised, such as, for example, one of the major sponsors of Facebook was a General Motors. General Motors, fa- yeah. Leaving they Facebook because yep. they weren't getting a good return on the ads, and Facebook is saying, no, 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 advertisers are doing well. But part of it is, with that kind of advertising, it's really brand enhancement advertising. It's not like you click on something and you place an order. For a car, you know, you're not doing that. I mean, I guess you can conceivably order cars online. I've placed orders for a car with email from a local dealer, but it was just, you know, a dealer. I'd already seen the car and we did our negotiation from email, but we still had to make a physical transaction. I suppose that's possible, but when you have a large company like a General Motors or a Honda, or any of these companies advertising on Facebook, the strict purpose would be for brand building, not yeah, to and, take and orders. Which, which is certainly a valid reason. I mean, this is why they do print ads in magazines. This is why they do TV commercials. These are not things that are being sold. I've seen how some of the tools work to sort of monitor social media these days, and, and the level of detail you get, the level of information is quite impressive. So I'm sure that General Motors looked at Facebook, looked at who was clicking, where they were coming from, where they were going to, how long they were staying on pages, all of these things. You can you know, quantify all of this stuff. They just figured it's not worth their money, that they can get more someplace else. Of course, it's funny. There's an old adage in advertising. You know that 50% of your ad budget is wasted, but you don't know which 50%. Now, when you advertise in a magazine or on television, you have no idea if you're getting any sort of response. At least when you're advertising on the web, you know when people are clicking. Now, if it's a half a percent of people, which I think is you know pretty standard these days, fine. But you know at least who's clicking. Yes, but you see, that's where you have to look for immediate conversions to replace an order. That's the thing. If you're not getting immediate conversions, you assume, well, maybe the advertising isn't working. Not that people may click on that ad 50 times before they decide, you know what, maybe I'll order. And then if they hear the ad on radio, they may not necessarily click it then. They may hear the thing on the next week's radio show. And eventually they say, you know what, I should go and check it out. It's not yeah, instant it's, gratification. It, it doesn't exactly, work that it's, way. It's, it's not instantaneous. It's building up over time to get to a point where you've got people recognizing the brand name the first time they'd never heard of it, the second time they have, the third time maybe they heard someone else talking about it, and maybe it's the fourth time that they're going to act. And that, that's, of course, another principle of advertising. You know, the, the frequency, the number of times people see or hear an advertisement has an effect. Exactly. It's the repetition. 
especially with radio, because you'll hear the same ad a hundred times. Because yeah. it's repeated on your show, if it's a network ad as opposed to a local ad, maybe you'll hear it on the next show, the show after that. And eventually, somebody will pick up on the offer and they'll place the order. But if you don't think about that when you're advertising, you could make a very big mistake. If you're only looking for instant gratification, you will be disappointed with lots of advertising. Maybe that's part of the problem with Facebook. What I'm more interested in, though, is how are they going to monetize Twitter? How long can it yeah. exist on venture capital? Because someone says, hey, okay, this is cool. People love it. Now let's make a few dollars. How do we do it? Well, there are a couple of ways they're doing it, and they're already doing it, in fact. You can do what are called sponsored tweets, and these only show up on the web. For now, they don't show up in, in third-party Twitter clients. So in your timeline, you may – and there's some sort of an indication. I don't use the web for Twitter, but there's some sort of an indication next to a sponsored tweet. Um, it tries to find a subject you're interested in by looking at you know, the people you follow and all that. And you'll see a tweet, which is basically an ad. You know, Click on this to learn more about whatever. Another way they do it is called sponsored followers. Now, if you look on your Twitter webpage, you'll see on the left side who to follow, and you'll see a number of people. Um, some of these may be companies that have paid to appear in this list for people who have the interests that they've chosen. And it, it's pretty complicated. It's pretty granular, which you can choose on Twitter. Um, and you can also choose by country, and, and you have a lot of things. So between these two... These are relatively small amounts. I mean, these aren't ex very expensive. Um, once they ramp this up, though, and they start forcing this into third-party Twitter clients, at least for the, the, the sponsored tweets, they're going to get a lot more views. Now, I, kinda, I really don't know how many companies do this, uh, how common it is. Uh, again, I don't use the web very often for Twitter, so I do see it occasionally, but, you know, if you're in a third-party client, you won't see either of these things. Well, we have to see how Twitter is going to go and whether they could find a monetary model that works and that will repay all the people who threw in all that venture capital. I hate to see Twitter go down like all these failed Internet ventures of the dot-com boom where we had the big bubble and they finance anything and anything that had any vague idea of possibly succeeding. And most of the businesses didn't provide that instant yeah, I, gratification. I, and we've got to tell everybody. We have Kirk McElhern, author and commentator. I'm Gene Steinberg. Of course, you're in the Tech Night Out Live. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first-class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web apps such as WordPress, 24-7 support. You can save over $55. You want to know how? Go to DreamHost.com radio. DreamHost.com radio.
Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. Healthy soils grow healthy plants. So before you plant your survival garden this year, is your soil healthy? Maximize your crisis garden soil with EM1 from Terraganics. EM1 organic soil conditioner, fertilizer amendment, and compost accelerant provides healthier gardens and faster, efficient garden composting. EM1 from Terraganics.com quickly improves soil structure by increasing nutrient availability and converting organic matter into soil humus. This improves seed germination and root growth, improves plant quality, size, color, flavor, nutrient value of fruits and vegetables and improves shelf life. And when rain is not in the forecast, no worries. EM1 improves moisture retention in soils, helping reduce drought stress. Just like you prepare all else, prepare your crisis garden for maximum yields with EM1 from Terraganics.com. Order now at T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Terraganics, life's getting better. You may snicker when you hear this message, but you won't laugh after you experience the best-kept health secret ever, camel milk. Camel milk is loaded with health benefits far superior to other milk. Camel milk has antibacterial, antiviral, and anti-tumor properties, is rich in B vitamins, and camel milk is three times higher in vitamin C than cow's milk and ten times higher in iron. And camel milk contains 52 units of insulin-like proteins per liter, effectively lowering blood sugar levels. Many of our members testified that drinking camel milk reversed diabetes and greatly improved autism. Camel milk is easily digested by those who are lactose and beta casein intolerant and comes fresh or frozen from your trusted local family farm shipped on dry ice to preserve freshness. Go to CamelMilkForSale.com now and look under Products and Pricing for the spring special with free bonus pints. That's CamelMilkForSale.com, CamelMilkForSale.com. Attention, information in this one-minute message could save your life. Don't wait for the next emergency to happen. Act now to be prepared. Now, more than ever, civilians and communities must communicate with family, friends, and neighbors in the event of civil unrest, natural disasters, or other emergencies. That's why there's CivilDispatch.com. CivilDispatch.com is a universal system that can be used for a wide array of urgent notification alerts. Weather emergencies, civil unrest, emergency responders, amber alerts, school or business closings, any need-to-know situation. CivilDispatch.com is an emergency dispatch communication system allowing anyone to quickly and easily send and instantaneously track emergency email and text alert notifications civildispatch.com gives you the power of enterprise alerting without the enterprise cost don't find yourself unprepared learn more and become a member at civildispatch.com that's civildispatch.com civilian emergency dispatch system peace through preparedness You're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. We have Kirk McElhern, author and commentator. We started the discussion talking about Ping, the iTunes social networking feature that's going Pong. 
We talked about privacy and Facebook, about monetizing Twitter. And now let's talk about the WWDC and all the discussion. And, of course, unlike previous WWDCs, in fact, there was somebody over at Macworld who wrote a column suggesting that Apple wouldn't be introducing new hardware because it's rarely done. And, of course, we got new MacBooks. But when you look at the new MacBook line, with the MacBook Pro with Retina Display, very awkward name, the regular MacBook Pro, MacBook Air, Apple is kind of in the middle of a major, major migration, but they can't sell the Retina Display cheap enough to take over the entire line. You know, if you remember when the first MacBook Air came out in 2008, it was a pretty expensive computer, particularly the model with the SSD, because it was available with a hard disk and with an SSD at the time. And it was uh, quite a markup over the regular MacBook at the time, but not as expensive as the MacBook Pro. This sort of settled down over time. Now, the, different, the biggest the, the difference with the MacBook Air is that there's less in it. The difference with the MacBook Pro Retina display is that there's more in it. In other words, a much more expensive display. Now, that's now, the biggest expense. They're saying it costs like $100 more for that yeah. display. Then, of course, the standard optical drive is gone, which saves maybe, what, $20, $30? Probably but you're not adding even. a solid-state drive, which adds right. a couple of $300. So it explains a roughly $400 difference between a comparable 15-inch MacBook Pro, 15.4 inches, by the way, which means it's only 1.6 inches less than the 17-inch model that's no longer here. We're talking about a $400 difference. It has to be accommodated in some way. But the other thing is here, when you get that higher-end model, the retina display, you're giving up standard FireWire. You have to do an adapter plug with a Thunderbolt. You're giving up standard Ethernet. You're giving up an audio line in. Which isn't a big deal for most people. It is for me. Right. But for most people, it's not. So they're definitely cutting the number of connectors, which will segregate the market a little bit. Since you need it, and you you can't work without it for what you do, you couldn't buy this computer unless the adapter works out. I can always use an audio out to USB input. Right. That's another way of depending doing it. Depending those on the things. hardware. Sure. Um, but the it, hardware it's, it's, doesn't bother me so much because most of the time with a notebook, I'm using it on a wireless network. FireWire is just a legacy thing, which I use for backup drives, and I can buy the adapter cord for $29. I could see it working for me. It's just going down from 17 inches to 15.4 inches. Yeah, you know, those big-ass 17-inch laptops that you see, the PC laptops and all that, I've always felt that was too big for a portable. Um, I think if you need a screen that big, you might as well go for a normal display. I have a 13-inch MacBook Air, which I think is good. Uh, I, I'm very tempted by the, the MacBook Pro with the Retina display because, you know, I, I'm not a spring chicken. My eyes aren't that good, and working on a computer screen all day long, you know how it is. You think? The letters get fuzzy. It's like the logic of some politicians. You could look at it that way. But I see the difference since I've got the iPad with the Retina display and an iPhone and an iPod Touch with Retina display. Um, I would love to get one. I was actually chatting with a friend earlier today. We were trying to figure out my current main computer is a Mac Mini with a 27-inch cinema display. Now, the Mac Mini can handle two monitors, but could it handle the resolution of a 27-inch Retina display? which would have to be something like 5,800 pixels or, or something like that by 36 or something. I mean, it would have to be twice.
twice as many pixels in each direction. So if they were to come out with a cinema display, a retina cinema display, but my current Mac Mini wouldn't work, you know, updating both of them, that's a big deal. Um, but I, I do like the idea of the retina display. I think this is the future. I think um, given a couple of years, they're all going to be like that. Just like given a couple of years, they're all going to be SSDs. You know, currently the MacBook Air is, is SSD, but the MacBook Pro isn't with the exception of the, the retina display model. They are um, in an awkward transition because obviously SSD is still very expensive. Right. And, and Apple if, has if to find a way. The, I mean, look at the transition here. So if you're looking at the specs, a 15-inch, basic 15-inch MacBook Pro is $1,799 with a 500 gigabyte hard drive and 4 gigabytes of memory. If you go to the retina display, you get 8 gigabytes of soldered on memory. You can't upgrade it. And a right. 256 gigabyte drive. Right. Okay? And you're getting more graphics memory. So we understand the need for that partly because of the display. Yes, it's it's $400 more for which you get twice the memory and half the hard drive space. If you right. want to get it all, you pay $27.99 for a 512 gigabyte flash storage. You see where the difference in price. The only real difference with the more expensive 15-inch with retina display is a slightly faster processor and the bigger drive. But look well, how much actually, it increases the price. It's six hundred. You can actually go up to a seven hundred sixty-eight gigabyte uh, SSD, and that'll run you thirty-three hundred dollars. Exactly. So it's an, on top of the five twelve. It's another five hundred. One thing I noticed that's interesting is they don't call this an SSD. They call it flash storage, whereas SSD is the term that everyone knows. Well, SSD would be like a physical drive. You think of an SSD drive as something that's in the same case as a normal mechanical hard drive. Whereas flash storage is just a bunch of chips, which is what it is, a bunch of chips thrown on the logic board. Yeah, but before on the MacBook Air, they called it an SSD. And with then the Mac Mini that I have, it came, I, bought, I paid extra for the SSD. They call it an SSD. They now they call, call it, it flash, flash storage. storage across the board, even for the MacBook yeah. Air. Yeah, okay. so that's kind of interesting that they've changed that. And I think this means that they're making a big push to basically render this normal. In fact, I'm just looking at the webpage for the Mac Mini. They call it a solid-state drive still, whereas on the, the other new models, they're calling it flash storage. Because the solid-state to- drive on the Mac Mini is not soldered on. It's a physical mechanism that you could just plug in or unplug. Okay, that's true. Yeah, you can take it out. It's, it's the same size as, as the little two-and-a-half-inch drive. Okay. But yeah, as you say, they're transitioning in in the same way that we transitioned out of floppy disks and and over to USB and all those things, you know, with the early iMac. How many people use Ethernet? Let's face it. I think anybody with a desktop configuration, a standard desktop configuration would, if you're doing a lot of file downloads. I mean, I have. Now, there is a new Wi-Fi standard, 802.11ac. Yeah. And this is something I kind of sort of thought that Apple would have this in the new MacBook Pros, and maybe because the chips for computers are not ready yet in reasonable quantities at reasonable prices. They're bringing out routers right now. That offers roughly the equivalent of gigabit Ethernet on Wi-Fi. So right. that makes a lot of sense. So in the yeah, future, but, maybe not yeah, this again, generation, but maybe the next refresh of these products – we're going to be moving to that, which means, therefore, that having wired Ethernet doesn't make sense for most people. I still don't think most people transfer that many files. You and I do, but I think the average user, I think 80% of Mac users probably never do. So Wi-Fi is good enough for them. Since you can get an adapter to go from, what is it, 
Thunderbolt to Ethernet or is it USB to Ethernet? No, it's Thunderbolt to Ethernet. They have an adapter Thunderbolt to Ethernet and an adapter Thunderbolt to FireWire 800. Right. So you can get the adapter. I have a USB to Ethernet adapter that I got with my first MacBook Air. I think I've used it once. I got it because I figured just in case. Um, it never really served a purpose. So it's the same. For the Thunderbolt to, to Ethernet adapter, it's quick. It's, it's gigabit Ethernet. It's only 29 bucks. So if you need Ethernet, it's not a big expense. Right. No, actually, it's 100 Ethernet. It's not 1,000. It says gigabit Ethernet. Oh, it does now. They must have changed yeah. it reasonably. It yeah, used yeah. to be the other way. Okay. Fair enough. I'll go for that. Yes, if you want, you can get it. Now, obviously, if I had a FireWire... 800 drive and I have several with the new Macs they have USB 3.0 which is several times faster than a FireWire 800 what would I do well if I can get a USB 3.0 drive for you know a couple hundred dollars humongous drive I'll buy a bunch of those and dump the FireWire 800s that's another possibility there. well that's interesting all of my external drives have let's see um, FireWire 400 FireWire 800 eSATA and USB 2 and 3 I'll tell you what, we've got Kirk McElhern, who's 2, 3, 20, we don't know, because he hides his age. Hmm. And I'm Gene Steinberg, you're in the Tech Night Out Live. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com Hello? Congratulations. For what? For losing all that weight. How'd you do it so fast? ASAP. ASAP what? What's that mean? Are you ready to get as skinny as possible, as soon as possible, as simple as possible, and as sexy as possible? I'm listening. Then get with the ASAP program. It's real and it works. No smooth talk, no slick advertising, and no exaggerated claims of success. I've got to know more. Welcome to ASAP, as slim as possible. Whether you have 10, 20, or 50 pounds to lose, ASAP is your weight loss answer. ASAP targets the abnormal fat reserves and makes them available to be burned as fuel and contains no caffeine or hormones. Order ASAP at wholesale prices or join the team to share the business with others. Visit GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. Lose weight and look great with ASAP, as slim as possible. Are you still a traditional smoker? Now experience a new lifestyle and try vaping with e-cigarettes by LeSig. 
Imagine no ashes, stains, nasty smell, or coughing and hacking. With Lasig e-cigarettes revolutionary microelectronic technology, rechargeable battery, and unique replaceable cartridge, you'll get all the benefits and satisfaction of smoking without the hazards. Choose your taste from a wide variety of our new American-made vaporian e-liquids at Lasig.com. And Lasig smokes the competition by serving thousands of worldwide customers with real people customer service, fast, free, same-day shipping, and a 30-day warranty and satisfaction guarantee. So are you ready for a new vaping lifestyle? Then call 870-518-4307. That's 870-518-4307. Or visit Lasig.com, spelled L-E-C-I-G.com. Lasig e-cigarettes for today's modern smoker. Love gardening but don't love seeing your hard work destroyed by wildlife? Then use the number one most effective deer and rabbit repellent you can buy, Plantskid. Plantskid repellent protects gardens, trees, and landscaping by emitting an odor that browsing animals associate with predators. So animals avoid plants before they nibble, not after. Plantskid is made in the U.S. from non-toxic, 100% organic, environment, and pet-friendly ingredients. Other repellents wash off in the rain. Not Plantskid. It's guaranteed to outlast all other repellents. Plantskid was the first animal repellent to be OMRI listed organic and now comes in liquid spray, powder concentrate, or easy-to-use granular. Just sprinkle around your garden. For proven protection from deer, rabbits, squirrels, and other small rodents, use Plantskid. Member tested and recommended by the National Home Gardening Club. Find a dealer near you at Plantskid.com. That's PlantSKYDD.com. Ask about our new vole repellent when you call 800-252-6051. That's 800-252-6051. Plantskid, proven plant protection, guaranteed or your money back. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl Live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. With Kirk McElhern, author and commentator, he was talking about hard drives and interfaces on all the new products from Apple. The MacBook Pro with Retina display doesn't have FireWire 800. You need an adapter. You can use USB 3.0. doesn't have Ethernet. You can use an adapter from Thunderbolt. And you were talking about a drive that does what now? FireWire 400, 800, USB 2, and 3. And with USB 3, it's got to be really fast as far as mechanical drives grow. Yeah, all, all of my drives, I buy um, enclosures and drives separately, and I buy these enclosures that have these four different interfaces, so FireWire 400, 800, USB 2 and 3, and eSATA. Now, I've never been able to use USB 3 or eSATA because these are things that we just don't have on Macs. If I had a USB 3 system, it would fit in perfectly. But I saw an interesting product last week, and I'm trying to find who makes it, and I can't. Some company presented a sort of a hub that goes from Thunderbolt, and it has about maybe a dozen outputs with FireWire, Ethernet, audio, eSATA, USB, a whole bunch of things. It was relatively expensive. It was a few hundred dollars. But it would be the ideal sort of docking station if you're using a laptop like what we're discussing and you have things with a whole bunch of different connectors to it. Unfortunately, it's expensive. Now, I actually think that the reason Apple has moved to USB 3 is because vendors aren't making anything that works with Thunderbolt. I mean, there are two or three hard disks with Thunderbolt. What are we, a year and a half after it was introduced? And they're all very, very expensive. So 
USB 3.0 has been around and it's proven itself on the Windows platform. I don't know that Thunderbolt's really going to last too long for peripherals like this. It will. The reason it will is because Intel is just now adding Thunderbolt support to PC chips. So it's going to okay. come. It's going to be more on the higher end. But as far as pricing, Phantom Drives has a 3 terabyte external USB 3.0 hard drive for 220 and Buffalo for 210 so if you want USB 3.0, you can get pretty good quantities for around $200 or so. And yeah. then if you want something with a smaller quantity, I guess it would be 150 or $100. It's only slightly more expensive than you paid for USB 2.0, but you get the maximum speed of which the drive is capable. So that makes sense. Yeah, but again, you know, who needs it? I mean, if my, if my backup takes a half an hour instead of 20 minutes, it's no big deal. Professionals, sure, you're working with video. That's always the excuse. You're working with really big files. You need it. Everyone else, it really doesn't matter that much. Easy for you to say. No, but I copy files a lot. I make backups of my backups, Gene. Well, one of the Um, reasons why I I like to have like a USB 3.0 drive when I got the computers that work with it is for a clone backup where because the drive is so fast and the interface is so fast, if necessary, I could restart from it and use that as my primary hard drive without suffering. Now, if I go to FireWire 800 for my internal drive, there's a slight performance penalty. But not that much. I mean, I've done it in the past. I've worked off an external FireWire 800 drive, and I'd say it's about 10% slower in real, in real speed. In other words... It's going to take longer to boot, but once things are booted, they're in the cache and all that. When you launch an application, it takes a second more, but it's in the cache. So after that, it works quicker. No, I didn't find that there was that much of a difference. Um, However, now that I have SSDs in my two main Macs, if I had to go to an external FireWire, that would be, you know, I would fall asleep waiting. Some people say I fell asleep anyway a long time ago. Do, Do you remember when it took 30 seconds to launch Microsoft Word? Yeah, now it's what? It's a second. It depends. From, from the an first SSD. Launch, no, from an SSD. Oh, of course, off an SSD. It's a I mean, yeah. From but a I hard have... drive, it's two seconds. Sure. You know, back in the day, there were programs that took 45 seconds to a minute to launch back in the day. I think it was freehand that was particularly slow. And here we're back in OS 9 stuff. I mean, Well, remember, time... though, that applications like a Quark Express or a Photoshop or Adobe InDesign, they still take 15, 20 seconds to launch because a lot's loading. But again, if you're using solid-state drives, I understand... I can't wait for the time that solid-state drives are only slightly more expensive than mechanical hard drives. Yeah. And I'm hoping that the new technology Apple might be developing by taking over that solid-state drive technology company in Israel. Yeah. Whether that will bring ways to make more dense chips, which will in turn, therefore, hopefully be less expensive per gigabyte. It's clear that this is the future. And, you know, when you think of it, we've been working with hard drives since, what, the first hard drives and consumer computers were what, the early 90s? About? Oh, late 80s. So, late 80s. Late 80s, yeah. Well, actually, so, you had them, some of the earliest Macs, like the second generation of the original Mac, had a small hard drive. My yeah. Mac 2CX had a 100 megabyte hard drive for $1,200. Yeah. Well, you're looking that. at a price back then that was well, way over what we're paying for SSDs now. So in a way, it's the same sort of a change that we're making. Um, it's a technology it's, – it's an order of magnitude change because it's smaller, uses less battery power, um, gives off less heat, and is you know, much faster. So it's a huge change, and these things always take time to get to an economy of scale to make them really affordable. 
I think, you know, Apple's kind of smart putting them in a computer like the MacBook Air because most users don't have the files we have. They don't have, like I do, an 80,000-track iTunes library, especially now that you can re-download stuff. You don't even, if you, if you buy a movie from, from the iTunes store, you don't even need to keep it on your computer once you've watched it because you can get it again. So most people don't have that much stuff to put on a computer. Um, I, I think for a lot of people, 128 gigabytes is more than enough. Again, 80% of users, the, the 20% of us who, who do a lot and who have big music or video collections, that's another story. Well, I put my music collection on my iPhone, so I don't worry about it because it's got cloud-based access. As exactly. far as my MacBook Pro, my 17-inch, it's using, what, less than 150 gigabytes because I don't put everything on it. I put on the stuff I'm likely to need conceivably when I travel. That means if I bought the basic macbook pro with retina display 256 gigabytes it would be perfect for me and i have to look at them and see when i have that financial windfall whether it's worth my while i'm more disappointed that we don't have a new imac yet well they're not going to announce everything at once um oh they have to the tech (laughs) pundits say they have to apple must advertise everything monday they should have released everything forget about if it took the session took 12 hours okay here's here's what i think i'm joking um Apple, you know, we know they stagger their releases. They can't release everything at once. They've got so many products now, you know, between the iPhone and the iPad and the different Macs um, that it's it's a process. I kind of expect that we're going to see new iMacs when Mountain Lion comes out because the iMac is the computer you buy for a student. Well, actually, it's a laptop you buy, but it's one or the other. The end of the year is a time when people buy computers whether for students going away to college or for Christmas or whatever, that would be the time for the iMac with Mountain Lion. Well, the perfect date for the iMac would be the end of July, which is probably when Mountain Lion will come out. It doesn't make sense if Apple is not going to release the iMac this week or early next week. It makes no sense not to wait until they could bundle Mountain Lion with it, which would be middle or late July. Yeah, I I don't think that's as much of an issue as... You know, they've got these factories that are building a, a whole lot of stuff. They've got shipping constraints. Um, they've got, you know, marketing constraints. I, they just can't dump everything at once. There were times when they would update a whole line. You know, remember a few years ago, five years ago or so, they would update a whole product line at the Macworld Expo in, in San Francisco. But that was an artificial kind of situation where they were forced to do something based on a specific deadline. Now the right. deadlines are different. The deadlines are right. such that at a WWDC, they had to upgrade the MacBook Pros and the MacBook Airs because sales are going down, people expecting an upgrade. They yeah. could move a little bit slower and more casually with, say, the iMac and maybe the Mac Mini. Now, with the Mac Pro, if they're doing a major redesign, which is what Tim Cook is hinting here, it's going to take a while. Maybe it won't be till early next year. And I understand that if it's going to be an entirely new case, maybe slimmed down, maybe there's new technology they're waiting on. Maybe they want to build it with the new Wi-Fi standards. Why do something when you're in an interim situation? You want to have everything there, everything current, with a platform that they can keep building for five or six years. I'm not convinced that the Mac Pro needs the new Wi-Fi. It's a stationary computer, same as the iMac. As we were saying before, you don't have the Ethernet port on the new MacBook Pro, but it's a mobile computer, so you're less likely to be connecting it. However, a Mac Pro, that's the computer where... If you buy it, you're doing serious work with a lot of files, and you're going to be transferring files. So that one needs to have Ethernet. I I don't see the faster Wi-Fi being really essential for that. Well, if it's here, might as well use it. This is true. 
because it, it's always another plus. You know, it's always another selling point. I've, as I think we've talked about many times the idea of a smaller tower, and I really hope that the Mac Pro is going to go in that direction, something between the current Mac Mini and the Mac Pro where you can put two drives instead of one, where you can maybe add PCI cards if you need them, but you don't have to, something that's, you know, I don't know. A well, the high. argument against that, we have to go in a second. The argument against that being, of course, an iMac with the ability for the user to upgrade a second hard drive would fill part of that need. We'll have to see where Apple goes. Kirk McElhern, where do we find more of your stuff? As usual, my website, Kirkville. It's McElhern.com, M-C-E-L-H-E-A-R-N.com. You can find plenty of my articles on Macworld and on macOS10hints.com. Kirk McElhern, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. Thanks for having me again, Gene. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, Ted Anderson announcing a great way to listen to radio on the telephone. By calling 760-569-7700, you'll be hearing GCNlive.com programs in seconds. Come to GCNlive.com, find your favorite host's dedicated phone number, and hear them 24-7. You heard me right, every show has a dedicated phone number. Stop by GCNlive.com and bookmark their number today. And again, that's 760-569-7700. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Tech Night Out Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Abram Pilch of Laptop Magazine, I have one important question for you. How do you survive a plane flight to China? Good in-flight entertainment. That is how you do it. Watch, uh, watch whatever stupid movies are on the entertainment system and sleep a lot. How do you sleep aboard a plane, though, unless you have these sound-canceling headsets? Well, the interesting thing about Eva Air, which is the airline that I always take when I go to Taiwan, is that they're very quiet. They don't come by with the cart much. They turn the lights off. They don't give you drinks too often unless you ask for them. So... It's very easy for hours to go by and you not to notice. Well, I know I don't think I'm going to do that next year, you know. And I know you're going to be flying to San Francisco soon, and that's not a fun trip. I can imagine going around the world has got to be really painful. It's not like the old days. You think of flying the plane, it's a luxury and everything, and all they've done is make it worse and worse and worse. Yeah, it gets really difficult to to fly because they're always looking for a way to make it harder for you to uh, you know, make it more expensive and more of a hassle. It more never gets profitable any easier. for them. But speaking of developments in other parts of the country, we had Apple's Worldwide Developers Conference proceeding this week. Monday, we learned about new entrance to the MacBook Air and MacBook Pro lineup. But, of course, the pace de resistance is the MacBook Pro with Retina display 
$2,199, but I guess worth it, right? Well, absolutely worth it if you want the best screen you can possibly get on any computer. The amazing Retina display, which is 2880 by 1800 pixels, is just out of this world looking at it here in the office it I blows bet you us have away. one right next to you oh if I if I could I think the other folks are monopolizing it right now trying to play Diablo on it at the full resolution and you can play Diablo on it at the full resolution which is unbelievable interesting about this too I sort of thought you know what right now the best the more expensive notebooks have very high quality displays and they look great but then you have something here where it's essentially double the vertical, double the horizontal resolution of a standard 15.4-inch screen, and suddenly it's so much better. I'm going to ask you the hard question. I have a 17-inch MacBook Pro, which is dead, dead buried. Now, mm-hmm. from a 17-inch MacBook Pro or any 17-inch notebook with a really good screen, going to the 15.4, going to 15.4 inches, which is really you know, a little over an inch and a half diagonal measurement which can't be that much does the screen make up the difference in the size well you certainly can fit as much content on the screen as you did with your 17 incher and you can cert because you can up the resolution the effective resolution to i believe it's about 1920 by 1200 it actually doesn't give you a desktop that's the full 2800 pixels because they feel it would be too small i think apple does but I think it certainly would make us look at the portability of this system. You're talking about something that's four and a half pounds and 15 inches. That makes it one of the lightest 15-inch notebooks on the market. So not only is it 15.4 inches, which is a lot more portable than your 17-inch MacBook, but it's only four and a half pounds. Right. My weighs six and a half pounds. And you can tell the difference. You stick that thing in a case, and the case is proportionately larger, and you take it across the airport. And you know it's never going to be the gate that you want to get to nearby. It's the farthest gate. So you have to struggle walking all the way across. Or you go to one of these trade shows, and soon your shoulder is aching. It doesn't ache quite as much with four and a half pounds. So I would recommend that you, uh, that you spend the extra money to get this notebook. But it is rather expensive. So the real question is, can you afford it? If you can afford it, get it. Well, we understand why the price is more. We look at the price of the display. I think it costs, what, $100 more per panel than a regular 15.4-inch display, give or take 10. They've got twice the standard memory, which is worth maybe 100 bucks or so. They've got flash memory. They've got the graphics card with more onboard memory, which there has to be. So when you add it all up, I guess the price difference makes sense because the raw parts are very expensive now. Yeah, no question. The raw parts are very expensive, and that's why you really got to pay for it. Now, what I wish is that Apple would have given you the option to get this screen on a less expensive system. And I bet you they will next year at this time give you this screen on a less expensive system. There's already a published report there's going to be a 13-inch version of it for this fall. It may also be that its availability of the parts. Right now, this is an early production. Apple supposedly has already sold out of their initial allotment, and you have to wait three or four weeks to get your MacBook Pro with Retina display. 
So that might be part of it is make a flagship model and then slowly as the technology improves, as the yield improves, bring it down to the lower end entrance in the lineup. I mean, I'd like to see it on the airs, for example. I think that would be a really, really compelling product if you had the 13-inch air with this, with this resolution of screen. I think it'll be there, but I think Apple wanted to keep the air at the same price. So if you add a part that costs $100 more, do you eat that cost or do you charge more for the product? Maybe what they could do is offer it as an option on other models. We'll have to see what happens. Again, it's the flagship. You know, you're the early adopter. You're paying to be an early adopter. And this is the same thing with flash memory. We're paying, what, three, four times extra for a given amount of flash memory? Yeah, no question. You you pay for the quality stuff. It's just kind of a shame that you have to get the performance and the display. You don't get to pick and choose. Right, but the 1799 15.4-inch MacBook Pro, for the most part, except for the solid-state drive, the performance is pretty much the same. It's got very much the same parts. Yeah, and absolutely, if you're the type of person who would have the money to spend on the display, you probably want that level of performance anyway. And I remember back in the 1990s, to get the best possible power book at that time, or any really good high-end notebook, you were paying four or $5,000. So in the scheme of things, maybe $2,199 is not so expensive. I guess if Apple can sell all they can build, well, it's successful. It doesn't matter what the rest of us think about being too expensive. Exactly. So it's certainly there's a lot of demand for it, as there should be. Uh, I actually can't wait to see how it performs in Windows. Right now, we haven't been able to get Windows to really work on it. We have to see how Windows 8 will work. Will Windows 8 support the resolution? I think Apple has some trick if you're using Boot Camp to make Windows 8 work. Probably a custom driver or something. Yeah, we're still waiting to get a driver to get Windows 7 to work on there. We would love to see exactly what that resolution looks like in Windows 7. But right now, we haven't yet been able to get that going. Uh, Hopefully, uh, as this is brand spanking new, there will be a way to do it very shortly. And you have to think also that that's the only way you'll get Windows to be seen on a retina display because Apple probably has... 95% of the parts right now. It's going to be a while before Dell or HP or anybody else can get a hold of screens with that resolution. Yeah, no question. However, we are seeing much higher resolutions coming to PC notebooks, just not quite that high. We are seeing full HD, for example. Right, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I mean, the resolution on my 17-inch MacBook Pro is better than HD resolution. It's just not like that particular model anyway. We should also mention, of course, at the WWDC, they said nothing about the Mac Pro. They had like a very silent update changing one or two processors. They first called it new, then removed the new label because it's not really new. And then we have a letter that Tim Cook of Apple writes to a Mac user concerned about the alleged death of the Mac Pro, and he confirms it's not going to die there's going to be, a, obviously, a pretty good upgrade coming in 2013. More with Avram Pills, but first, if you have a comment or a question about the Tech Night Owl Live, you can send us a tweet at Tech Night Owl. That's Tech Night Owl on Twitter.
More coming with Avram Pilch at Laptop Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockwell. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R O C K O I D S.com. Attack, Attack. Of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Making the right decisions is a challenge to investors. Are we going to see economic growth, slide into a recession, or at worst, depression? Hi, Ted Anderson from Midas Resources. We all know when a company acts irresponsibly, divesting ourselves in a move towards safety is prudent. When the market becomes volatile, U.S. Treasuries are a safe haven. But what do you do when the U.S. government overextends itself and spends beyond its means? Many investors are turning toward gold as a common-sense alternative to traditional paper investments. Midas Resources has put together a powerful book titled 10 Reasons to Own Gold, discussing costs, benefits, risks, featuring full-color illustrations, weights, and measures. The book is free and can be yours by calling 800-686-2237. Paper investments are dwarfed by gold's 6,000-year history. Discover how gold may be right for you and your IRA by calling 800-686-2237. Whether buying or it's time for you to sell, the book is free. Call 800-686-2237. Would it save you time to get the best quality water filters and the best quality storable foods from one company? You bet it would, and now you can at BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. Big Berkey water filter products and great-tasting, long-lasting, storable, wise foods are both now available on one website, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. Wise foods, ready-to-eat meals are packed in airtight nitrogen pouches and come with a 25-year shelf life. Big Berkey water filters are powerful enough to purify treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water. Combine Berkey water filters with wise foods for an unbeatable preparedness combination. Get free shipping on every order over $50. And GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit big, B-E-R-K-E-Y, waterfilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's 877-99-BERKEY. Or go to bigberkeywaterfilters.com. How's your pH today? Are you acidic? How alkaline is your blood and body? What is the pH of the water you drink? We are AlkaVision, and we have the answers. Drinking pure, high-alkaline water is one of the most important factors in maintaining vibrant health and high energy because bacteria and viruses cannot survive in an alkaline, high-pH environment. If your drinking water isn't at a pH level of 8 or higher, boost it with AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops. Our unique formula will alkalize your water, ridding your body of harmful toxins and acid, and help regain energy and health. Simply add 10 drops of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops to help your body rid itself of acidic 
waste, increase oxygen, and raise the pH of your body to optimal levels. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops for only $29.95 at AlkaVision.com. Spelled A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or call 800-518-7615. 800-518-7615. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at AlkaVision.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have any thoughts or comments about the Tech Night Owl Live, please get in touch at news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. Looking for past episodes? We've got hundreds at technightowl.com slash radio. That's technightowl.com slash radio. Or subscribe on iTunes. With Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine, I'm Gene Steinberg. We're in the Tech Night Owl Live. And as I mentioned, as we did our break, the letter from Tim Cook, which I'm sure you saw about the Mac Pro, assuring us this could be a big upgrade in 2013. So is that enough to reassure skeptical professional content creators that Apple is still on their side to some degree? Yeah. I also think a lot of those folks may be tempted to move over to the MacBook Pro, but it's not very upgradable, which obviously is a problem if you're running a workshop. Well, if you have Thunderbolt and you have more Thunderbolt peripherals, it might make sense. But if you want to open it up, everything, I think, is soldered on. I don't know about the flash memory. Maybe you can plug that in. But it's basically just a regular, like a memory chip. It just fits on there on the logic board. As a matter of fact, iFixit, you've probably heard of them, tore it down. And they said this was the least serviceable Mac of the current lineup. Really bad. They actually said it's the least serviceable notebook of all time. And Apple has produced a lot of products that are very bad to service. I mean, as someone who's used Macs for, what, 25 years or so, I have to tell you, there were some models, especially back in the 90s, real difficult to service. The Mac Mini, before Apple made the latest configuration, was impossible to open without a putty knife or some special implement. So I understand that the MacBook Pro with Retina display might be difficult. Also, again, it's a first-generation model. Maybe we should expect that the second-generation model, Apple will take more time to develop the logic board in a way that is easier to service. We can hope so. I just think that Apple's not that interested in helping you service their stuff. They would really rather that you pay up front than that they make it easy for you to spend money on third-party upgrades after the fact. Well, the thing, of course, is you can always get the extended warranty, get three years out of that thing. We'll have to see how it goes. I think Apple will get enough criticisms. They'll have to make upgrades. This is version 1.0. Remember that. Anytime you have a version 1.0 product, there's always going to be something about it that's flaky. But with the Mac Pro... Now, Apple could have put the new Intel parts in this year, and they're saying, no, we'll do it next year. So do we think that instead of having a 40-pound behemoth, cheese grater kind of case, that Apple is going to completely redesign it, miniaturize it, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, there's no question. I think what's going to happen is we're going to see something that looks a lot thinner and lighter, although hopefully it won't be like the MacBook, uh, like the Mac G4 Cube. No, but I love the look of that thing, though. I wrote an article at the time I was working with CNET, and I wrote an article and I said, this computer ought to be in a museum. And, of course, I was paraphrasing the comment 
that Harrison Ford set in one of the Indiana Jones movies, where he said to some kind of art object, this belongs in a museum. And the villain says, so do you, Dr. Jones. And of course, the cube isn't a museum, I guess, because it was a beautiful looking computer, flaky, didn't sell very well. But Steve Jobs loved it. I always had that impression. Because I remember at the rollout of Mac OS X, this goes back, March of 2001, we're over at Apple headquarters in Cupertino. And Steve Jobs has asked, when are you going to discontinue the Mac Pro? And Jobs says, you don't know what you're talking about. A few weeks later, what did Apple do? There's no question that you can't always rely on the statements that you hear from Apple. So you, you really can't read the tea leaves. After all, we were all expecting a new Apple TV, and we didn't get that. Well, it's also not usual in recent years for there to be lots of hardware announcements at WWDC. And Apple TV is a consumer-oriented product. We're seeing, of course, that the MacBook Pro with Retina Display, professionals will buy that product, probably more than just regular consumers unless they're well-heeled. And therefore, that made sense. It doesn't so much make sense for an Apple TV maybe the fall with a new iPhone, etc., etc. Now, looking over at the WWDC, the announcements about Mountain Lion, suddenly the feature sets doubled from 100 to 200. The price is 1999 so it sounds like a winner to me. What do you think? Do you think it's a better way to go than with Lion? Lion struck me as being unfinished. Well, certainly they're giving you a better, better integration with, uh, you know, better, more sort of modern feel, more like iOS. So I think that obviously Mac users are all going to want to pay that $20 and upgrade, provided that you have the equipment to upgrade. Hard to imagine why you wouldn't upgrade. Now, that's the rub here. It has to be one that can boot with a 64-bit kernel, which is very difficult to explain, except what it means is some Macs from 2007 will work with Mountain Lion, some from 2008. Some models, you have to go back only to 2009. In other words, some computers three and a half to four years old are not included. So you have to look at the model lineup because Apple's trying to do something and they're not going to go so far back to include everything. It's one of the things that Apple does. But in the meantime, I have to tell you, I can't reveal those of us who have seen the Mountain Lion developer previews, all the specifics, but those 200 features, it works really well. And it doesn't look so much different than any other Mac OS that you wouldn't just be able to install it on a new Mac or buying the 1999 upgrade and just get on with your work. It's not going to drive you crazy. Not like some other operating system I could name. Yeah, no question. Apple always makes it easy to upgrade. They make it affordable to upgrade. So if you can upgrade, you will upgrade. And That's they don't really throw out the, the user interface. I mean, there are changes, but it's not such that you can't do 98% of what you do on a Mac under Mountain Lion, and it still works very much the same. Now, let's move to that other operating system where we expect the big upgrade coming this fall. You went to China. Now, you weren't trying to get the best Chinese food over there. You had a purpose in mind. You aren't going to tour Foxconn and check the production factories. You had a different purpose. I went to Taipei, which obviously is part of China and not part of China, depending on how you view it. Definitely a separate country with a separate, definitely a separate government. And uh, 
I went over there for the Computex Taipei show, which is Taiwan's answer to the Consumer Electronics Show, although on a much smaller scale and without a lot of phone or mobile stuff. It was mostly tablet and notebook stuff and peripherals, and I got to see some really interesting Windows 8 systems, some new takes on the notebook design from a number of manufacturers like Asus and Acer who are really blurring the line between tablets and notebooks. Now, that's the big argument that Apple makes. Can we blur that line other than having certain things that make natural sense to be essentially the same on a desktop and mobile operating system as Apple is doing? Is it the refrigerator toaster oven thing taken too far? It's really difficult to figure out how it is you're going to decide whether you actually have a tablet or you actually have a notebook. At Asus's press conference, they introduced five products, actually more than five products, but five of the products they introduced, they had two tablets that can attach to keyboards and turn into clamshell Windows 8 notebooks, a Windows 8 notebook where the screen pops off, turning it into a tablet. Then they had another Windows 8 notebook where the screen bends back, turning it into a tablet. And then they had an all-in-one desktop where the screen pops off to make it a tablet. We have Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. Iodine protection packs from HempUSA.org are now in stock for immediate delivery worldwide. Our iodine protection packs include micro plant powder, green life kelp, red palm oil, and our clear roll-on iodine that will feed the body the iodine it needs. All iodine protection packs are in stock, save you money, and ship for free in all 50 states. Visit HempUSA.org or call 908-691-2608 today. HempUSA.org has a revolutionary wonder food for detoxing the body and rebuilding the immune system. Microplant powder can help unclog arteries and soften heart valves while removing heavy metals, virus, fungus, bacteria, and parasites. Plus, it cleans and purifies the blood, lungs, stomach, and colon. Keep your body clean with Microplant powder. Visit us at HempUSA.org or call 908-691-2608 today. Introducing a Diabetes Breakthrough, an easy, natural, organic way to bring relief to diabetics. 
Introducing MDS Forte, a concentrated super strength extract formulated for those who are looking for relief. What can MDS Forte do for you? MDS Forte reduces glucose levels safely and effectively, reduces cholesterol and triglyceride levels, increases HDL or good cholesterol while reducing LDL or bad cholesterol. MDS Forte reduces A1C, improves eyesight and circulation to the limbs, and helps with weight loss. Is non-toxic, caffeine-free, 100% natural, 100% organic, and comes with a 100% money back guarantee waiting for the side effects disclaimers with mds forte there are none order a 25-day treatment of mds forte by calling 213-405-5355 213-405-5355 or visit bestbloodsupport.com that's bestbloodsupport.com for mds forte a diabetes breakthrough Attention, information in this one-minute message could save your life. Don't wait for the next emergency to happen. Act now to be prepared. Now, more than ever, civilians and communities must communicate with family, friends, and neighbors in the event of civil unrest, natural disasters, or other emergencies. That's why there's CivilDispatch.com. CivilDispatch.com is a universal system that can be used for a wide array of urgent notification alerts. Weather emergencies, civil unrest, emergency responders, amber alerts, school or business closings, any need-to-know situation. CivilDispatch.com is an emergency dispatch communication system, allowing anyone to quickly and easily send and instantaneously track emergency email and text alert notifications. CivilDispatch.com gives you the power of enterprise alerting without the enterprise cost. Don't find yourself unprepared. Learn more and become a member at CivilDispatch.com. That's CivilDispatch.com. Civilian Emergency Dispatch System. Peace through preparedness. What are you listening to? The Tech Night Isle Live with Gene Steinberg. What's going to happen next? You never know. With Afrin Pilch of Laptop Magazine, I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Isle Live. And we are talking about his trip to, not to mainland China, but to Taipei, to see what was going on with some new products for Windows 8. And the question I have here is this sort of convertible stuff. This is something they've been pushing for years now in terms of tablets. You know, you get a basic notebook and it's got a touch screen or a stylus-driven screen, that kind of thing. Isn't that just repeating the errors of the past? There's certainly a lot of potential disaster. And... I'm not 100% sold that I want a dedic- I want something that is both a tablet and a notebook. Maybe I want two dedicated devices. It's really not clear at all whether any of these products are going to be the best of both worlds or just a compromise so that you can have both in one device. I think they're very interesting if you look at products like the Asus Tai Chi, which I think is actually better as a business notebook than as a tablet because it's a notebook that has a second screen on the back of the lid, which when it's in notebook mode, you can use for presentations. But the goal of it is if you fold the lid closed, then all of a sudden it's a tablet. But it's obviously a much bulkier tablet because it's got the keyboard in there and it's got the ports and it's got everything you need for it to be a notebook. It doesn't sound any different than the stuff we've been fed for years now. Certainly somewhat different configurations, but it's all still taking a traditional notebook and playing around with it. Yeah, they're they're trying to find a riff on that. And the question there is, 
are they really doing you any favors? Because obviously you're going to pay more to get something that has all of these features and then it's got only one device, so no device sharing with a family member. And then you have something that's probably bulkier or in the case of the Asus uh, Transformer book or is it ZenBook Transformer where the screen pops off of the notebook. Question is, if you get a product that is both a tablet and a notebook and you have to use it as a tablet, is it really going to be the best, thinnest, lightest, most powerful tablet you can get? And is it still going to be a really good notebook? So if you have something like the Asus ZenBook Transformer, what happens when you pull the screen off? Well, it's a nice thin and light screen, but is the keyboard and the hinge design, are those as good as they would be on a dedicated notebook? Are they going to be as sturdy? It's a compromise in the middle between the two extremes. We have the tablet here, we have the notebook here, and now we're trying to do both. I don't see it. I think it's a waste of time and money. It may be cheaper to buy the notebook, an ultrabook, and then buy the tablet and have two devices that are optimized for their specific purposes. I still don't see the logic. There's also a really good question as to whether or not Windows is optimized for tablets. Well, they're trying to optimize it. The question is, is it the optimal operating system for your tablet? Or do you want to go with Android? Or do you want to, even if you're a Windows user, go with iOS? And the other thing, of course, is that Android for tablets hasn't gone anywhere yet, which is an important point. But here's another one here with Windows 8. Now, understand, I have no problem with the standard versions of Windows. I've used Windows since, what, version 3. I have no problem with that. Yes, I preferred the Mac, but I can handle myself in Windows. And Windows XP worked fine. Windows Vista... All right, after the initial bugs were taken care of, I was okay with Windows Vista, then went to Windows 7. Again, I'm okay. I've been playing with Windows 8. It's schizophrenic, it's annoying, and it looks like Microsoft took the widget's fixation that goes back to the 90s and filled it with widgets or tiles. I think we're going to have a problem. In fact, I read an analysis from somebody over at ZDNet suggesting that the way Windows 8 would succeed would be that after Windows 8 came out, somebody will develop a utility that can return you to a strictly Windows interface and dump Metro and let you work as you do now. I wrote an article a few weeks ago on how to use Windows 8 without encountering Metro. Oh, yes, yes. Tell me more. This sounds great. But it's difficult. What you have to do is you can put something into the startup uh, script so that it will launch you into desktop because by default you get sent to Metro upon boot up whether you like it or not. So you can get sent to desktop, but then when you're on the desktop, no start menu. So what do you do? There's some utilities out there that will give you a false start menu as sort of a fake that you can use. I mean, it's maybe not fair to call it fake and it's not the natural one. And you can use that because Windows 8 has no start menu by default. It just takes you back to the Metro screen. Now, how would that work in practice? Well, you, as long as you didn't hit the Windows button by accident and end up back on the start screen, you'd probably be okay. All right. So that's the key there, too, is that there are going to be more and more apps that are optimized for Metro. And there's no way to run them under a traditional Windows interface. No, it's really ridiculous. So 
Microsoft is trying to make people choose between desktop and Metro. They're trying to make developers choose. So They can't develop like a universal app that works for both. You can't develop a universal app that works for both. So Google is working on a version of Chrome for Metro. Even Microsoft has two versions of Internet Explorer, one for Metro and one for desktop, and they both come with the operating system. This is going to be very confusing. You know, I worry about Microsoft because if the Windows 8 uptake doesn't happen, and what is it now, still 40% of some odd Windows users use XP? Is that still correct? I think it might actually be more than that. But, yeah, a lot of people are still using XP. Everybody skipped Vista. It really looks like Windows 8 could be the next Vista. And that's the point here. Do you think Microsoft is betting the farm on too much? They've gone too far. They were sold into this bill of goods that the desktop and mobile operating systems have to look and act as close as possible. And having fallen into this trap, if it doesn't work, what are they going to do? They're going to issue a Windows 9 six months later and say this one doesn't have Metro? I think Windows is becoming a little bit like Star Trek. It's like every other release is the one that you want. And so now, where with Star Trek, you wanted to avoid the odd number movies, with Windows, maybe you want to avoid the even number releases. So what they're going to do is they're going to put this out because they want to show everybody. They want to show the world, hey, we get mobile. Everyone said we don't get mobile. We're going to show everyone. We're going to force our users into a new interface just to show them that we get mobile. And when everybody buys a new PC and downgrades to Windows 7, what are they going to do then? They're going to have to either issue some kind of a patch for this that allows you to get a start menu and kind of default to not using Metro, or they're going to have to work on Windows 9. I think the biggest problem isn't going to be with consumers. It's going to be with the enterprise. Oh, the enterprise won't do it, and the reason the enterprise won't do it is because they have to retrain people. They don't want unpredictabilities. Exactly. That's why I think the enterprise is going to hate Windows 8. They're just upgrading to Windows 7 right now, a lot of them. A friend of mine's husband just started a new job. He got a brand new ThinkPad with Windows XP on it because his company hadn't updated to Windows 7 yet. So I don't think Windows 8 is even going to happen in the enterprise. I think they're going to just skip right over it and wait for Windows 9. Or they will just stick with Windows 7 or I'll stick with Windows XP. Isn't that really unfortunate? Betting the ranch on this operating system. And you see, in that sense, Apple does better with the enterprise. Yes, there isn't as much official support. But someone brings in a Lion computer and the next day it's a Mountain Lion computer. Well, they run pretty much the same. A lot of the support issues will be similar. On the other hand, it doesn't matter whether you're a Mac user, a Windows user, a Linux user, you can get in touch real easily with the Tech Night Owl Live. Just check us out on Twitter. We are Tech Night Owl. Once again, we are Tech Night Owl at Twitter. But also you can write us, news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. We have the forums at forum.technightowl.com. Check it out. We've got Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Ray Perkins. 
a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockaways. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack, Attack. Of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. If you owe money to the IRS, you can't make the problem go away by yourself. But with the help of Dan Pilla, you can get your problem solved once and for all. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. For 30 years, I've helped thousands of people solve their tax debt problem, and I can help you solve yours too. We take a very simple but proven three step approach to solving your problem. First, we stabilize IRS collection action so you don't have to worry about the IRS seizing your bank account or paycheck. Next, we build a comprehensive plan to get your tax debt reduced to the fullest extent possible, sometimes even completely eliminated. And finally, we work with you every step of the way to get your problem solved once and for all. Call us for a free consultation. Call 1-800-346-6829. We'll work together to get your problem solved guaranteed. Dan Pilla has been protecting taxpayers from the IRS for three decades, and he can help you too. Call us today at 800-346-6829. That's 800-34-NO-TAX. Emergency Essentials has Mountain House deals in June. Going on now, Emergency Essentials, the 24-year leader in emergency preparedness supplies, does it again. With up to 25% off Mountain House foods. Don't miss these savings. All Mountain House number 10 cans are 20 to 25% off during the month of June only at BePrepared.com. Mountain House foods have superior taste and a scientifically proven 25-year shelf life because they start with fresh or frozen foods, then cook, prepare, and finally freeze dry them all the goodness flavor and taste are locked in as if handmade from scratch mountain house the same great meals enjoyed by campers and outdoorsmen the world over hurry now through june 30th call 800-999-1863 to experience exceptional customer service and the beprepared.com low price guarantee that's 800-999-1863 the choice is clear be unprepared or beprepared.com Love gardening but don't love seeing your hard work destroyed by wildlife? Then use the number one most effective deer and rabbit repellent you can buy, PlantSkid. PlantSkid repellent protects gardens, trees, and landscaping by emitting an odor that browsing animals associate with predators. So animals avoid plants before they nibble, not after. PlantSkid is made in the U.S. from non-toxic, 100% organic, environment, and pet-friendly ingredients. Other repellents wash off in the rain, not PlantSkid. It's guaranteed to outlast all other repellents. PlantSkid was the first animal repellent to be OMRI listed organic and now comes in liquid spray, powder concentrate, or easy-to-use granular. Just sprinkle around your garden. For proven protection from deer, rabbits, squirrels, and other small rodents, use PlantSkid. Member tested and recommended by the National Home Gardening Club. Find a dealer near you at PlantSkid.com. That's PlantSkydd.com. Ask about our new vole repellent when you call 800-252-6051. That's 800-252-6051. PlantSkid, proven plant protection, guaranteed or your money back. 
You never know what's going to happen next while listening to the Tech Night Isle live with Gene Steinberg. I'm Gene Steinberg. We're in the Tech Night Owl Live with Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine. We're exploring the problems, the conundrum with Microsoft and Windows 8. We understand what they're trying to do, but if it's something where their most important customers, the enterprise, say, no, how much can they afford to lose here? Will some of those people either stick with an old Windows operating system or absorb the Apple glow and go that way? It's hard to believe that the enterprise is going to go 100% to Apple or go even more toward Apple than it is now. Apple is, tends to be used by the creative people in an organization, the designers, the marketers, those sorts of people, whereas the hardcore business people still tend to use PC, and I don't think that paradigm is going to change. I just think that Microsoft may lose money on upgrades. They're not going to see as much upgrading, and I think that a lot of... These companies are going to go to the vendors like Dell and HP and Lenovo who sell a lot of business systems and say, listen, don't send us anything with Windows 8. We want Windows 7. I think they'll know that before they even start. I think that's going to be so obvious. This is just such a radical departure in interface. The support is going to be difficult. I think that uh, enterprises, IT managers are not going to want to touch this with a 10-foot pole. So at this point, then again, will Apple gain anywhere if Windows 8 becomes a poor seller or relatively poor seller? I think it could make some inroads in the consumer market, but the problem is Apple's still a premium brand. So the lowest cost MacBook you can get is the Air, the 11-inch Air at $999. And of course, they lowered the price on the 13-inch to $1099, which is definitely a welcome change but the average pc notebook still sells for about 510 dollars so those people are never going to go to apple unless apple comes out with a lower cost product which i don't see but you i do think that people will delay their new purchases because they won't be excited about windows 8 that people will potentially those who are willing to spend a thousand or more on a pc laptop might be more tempted to go to mac and imagine this fall, for example, Apple produces a lower cost, a 13-inch MacBook Pro with Retina display that's maybe 1699 or 1599 Suddenly, the difference in price, the concerns about price won't be as severe. Yeah, I, I think you really got to worry about the PC market a little bit, but it's very resilient. And some people obviously will gravitate toward the Metro interface, but I think ultimately... The good thing that Windows 8 is doing, the one really positive thing, is it is inspiring companies to look at the hardware. So in line with Ivory Bridge, we see companies coming out with really better quality, more interesting, compelling notebook hardware. Now, so, tell our listeners, because they don't play the inside baseball all the way. We talk about Sandy Bridge last year, and this year we've got Ivory Bridge from Intel. What does Ivy Bridge deliver that a regular person will see or perceive that makes a difference? So Intel's Ivy Bridge platform is their newest, what they call the third generation core series of processors. It's this year's processor refresh since they tend to do one every year. And it takes them a higher level of performance and 
theoretically better power consumption, although in the systems we've tested, we haven't seen significantly better battery life, but it iteratively gives them better performance. Is it so much better performance that the user should avoid Sandy Bridge if they can get a good price on last year's second-generation Core Series notebook? No, it's not It's not for the average user an absolute necessity, but it is iteratively better when Intel refreshes their processors is all the notebook vendors go out and they refresh their notebook lineups. So that means new hardware apart from the CPU. So what you're getting is, for example, you're getting notebooks now with HD screens. Part of that is because of Windows 8 and part of that is because it was refresh time because of because of Microsoft and Intel Notebook vendors are refreshing their hardware, and the hardware might be what's attractive enough to get you to buy a new notebook. And then you'll downgrade to Windows 7. Exactly. So you'll download to Windows 7 and enjoy your full HD screen. There you go. You don't need to do it in Windows 8. Now, there's a story I read this week that Nokia is going to lay off some more people that the sales of the Nokia Lumia series with Windows Phone aren't doing too well again. So where is Nokia's endgame here? Is time passing them by to compete with Android and iOS? They have, they have a real problem. But Microsoft Windows Phone has a real problem. We'll have to see what goes on with Windows Phone 8. We're expecting to get some more details about it. Within a couple of weeks, Microsoft is holding, I believe Microsoft will be holding some press events in the near future around Windows 8. Now, I have a question here about Windows Phone 8. And I've heard this story. I don't know if it's true. Is it true that if you have a current, say, Nokia Lumia 900 with Windows Phone 7.5, you won't be able to upgrade to the next version of Windows Phone? Is that correct? Probably not. Oh, said how stupid are these people? It's bad enough we have this in Android, though I gather they're trying to encourage more people to upgrade to Ice Cream Sandwich, which came out last year and has, what, a 7% user base. But now you have a situation here where if you know when you buy the current Windows Phone product that there's no way on earth that it's going to be upgradable to, well, the next version of the OS, you have a dead end. What do you do? I think the real question is, is the audience for Windows Phone an audience that cares? Microsoft doesn't think so. The question is, are they underestimating the phone buying public people like you and me of course we want an upgrade we want to have the latest we want the greatest we want all the new features but there are other people out there who they won't even follow tech news go into the store and they look at the windows phone 7 windows phone 7 5 they like the tile interface they like what they see they get it and they don't expect their phone to change in the next two years they just expect to live with what they purchased so to them, it's not a big deal, but to those of us, it would be. But certainly, if Microsoft has all these nifty features that make it better, it's like the change, for example, from iOS 5. So we have iOS 5 doing this, iOS 6 with 200 new features. Clearly, there are going to be things in Windows Phone that are going to be compelling to them for that upgrade, but they can't get it. And even if it's only a portion of the people who are caring about the upgrade, they're losing that customer base. It shows they don't care about the customers. I think there's really an, an issue here in the phone business. With Apple, when you buy an iPhone, 
you know that that iPhone is probably going to be the state-of-the-art iPhone for the next year if it's the newest iPhone. And you, pro- and you know that that iPhone is going to get the latest OS update if it possibly can get it and that you're not at the mercy of your carrier. Apple is going to give you the update. Now, now let's uh, make a point of that here, which is with iOS 6, the iPhone 3GS built in 2009 will get the upgrade. There are certain features that won't work on it. There's a handful of features, some of which are really nice, like turn-by-turn navigation that won't work. But the point is we're talking about 90% or 95% of the user base of iPhones will get some kind of significant upgrade, and most will download it. That's right. No other phone operating system works that way, and it's unfortunate, but that's reality. So... If you buy Android, you have to be really care- clear that you're happy with the features that you're getting because your chance of getting an update, even if it's a promised update, it seems to be kind of slim. You can't be sure that you're ever going to get that update to, the, to a newer operating system. I think you have to be satisfied with what you bought because with Android, there's a very good chance you're only going to be able to use the operating system that it came with. And the same thing with Windows Phone. Well, there you go with that. But the key here is that Microsoft already has a problem, which is that they obviously spent a lot of money trying to prop up Nokia. Nokia is still failing. They haven't stemmed the hemorrhaging. And what does Nokia do to survive? That's a question that obviously we don't have time to answer. We'd love to be able to figure out what other companies should do to stay afloat. You don't want to see people lose their jobs. You don't want to see, for example, HP downsizing and dumping a bunch of people who will be unemployed. We don't want to see that. It doesn't matter what platform you like. You have to look at the people and be concerned about them. Avram Pilch, where do we find more of your stuff? So you can read my columns at laptopmag.com slash geeksgeek. Follow me on Twitter at, at geekinchief. And read all of our latest news at laptopmag.com. On the other hand, it doesn't matter whether you're a Mac user, a Windows user, a Linux user. You can get in touch real easily with the Tech Night Owl Live. Just check us out on Twitter. We are Tech Night Owl. Once again, we are Tech Night Owl at Twitter. But also you can write us, news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. Avram Pilch, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Owl Live. Always a pleasure. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you own an Apple iPhone and love to listen to your favorite programs on GCN, I've got good news for you. I'm proud to announce that GCN has a brand new iPhone app available for our dedicated listeners at GCNlive.com. Listen to your favorite hard-hitting GCN programs live or on demand right on your iPhone. And the best part? The GCN iPhone app can be yours absolutely free. Download the iPhone app today by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. We the People grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, and carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. 
Welcome back to the Tech Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We have John Martellero from the Mac Observer joining us this week. And John and I are interested in one particular product that was virtually ignored during the WWDC keynote, except for a very minor enhancement after that. And I'll start with a segue here, which is just a couple of weeks back, we talked to Jim Dalrymple of The Loop at loopinsight.com. And Jim said, according to his sources, Apple will not discontinue the Mac Pro. But at the very beginning of the WWDC, we might have doubted that, right, John? Yes. In fact, even before WWDC, there was a lot of angst about the future of the Mac Pro, especially amongst Unix professionals, scientists, researchers, academics, people who need the most powerful desktop Macintosh possible in their laboratory or at the university or whatever. And so since there hadn't been a major update since the middle of 2010 and the XServe had been uh, canceled in the meantime, people were worried that Apple was not only losing interest in the desktop, but sort of losing interest in their legacy customers in academia and research. And you think how important those customers were to Apple? Well, they were important at one time. They're probably a small fraction of Apple's business now. And I've editorialized about how even though it's a small fraction of their revenue, it's in Apple's best interests to still champion those industries. Because if you don't champion science and research and environment and and worthwhile things to engage in, then you're basically being kind of uh, callous about the whole thing. You know, love our products, buy them, make us rich, end of discussion, nothing else to do. And if the product doesn't sell 500,000 units per quarter, goodbye. The Mac Pro is probably making money because it's a premium product and it's not inexpensive. I wouldn't say that Apple's losing money on the product, but Apple definitely has a history of jumping on big-time bandwagons and with limited resources and a relatively small group of executives for a very large company. They can only focus on so many things at once. So the perception was that the Mac Pro would go by the wayside, but that wasn't what happened. Ted Landau and I were talking about this before WWDC. And Ted, there by were the way, was on last week's episode of the Tech Night Out Live. Ted Landau is a great writer, a technical wizard, and uh, he writes for Macworld and he writes for the Mac Observer. He was thinking that there would be some discussion about the Mac Pro during the keynote, and I disagreed. I won that bet, but the grapevine suggested that there would be an upgrade. turned out that the upgrade was a a silent upgrade, almost unnoticed, um, a very minor change in in the clock speed, no thunderbolt. So that sent waves of panic and repercussions through the industry, you know, why this very modest update? Are they just going to do that and let it die? Somebody, a Mac user, wrote to Tim Cook and said, basically, what the heck's going on here? Now, let's see the difference between Tim Cook. Now, with Steve Jobs, when he'd respond, it usually would be one or two terse sentences. Tim Cook gave you three paragraphs. That was a very cool difference in leadership style. And I think uh, Tim might have been more sensitive to that issue than uh, we would have expected him to be. But what was more interesting was that there was a comment about how something really great was coming in 2013. That started a discussion at the Mac Observer team about what the nature of this product would be. My impression is that uh, it's not going to be the Unix 
supercomputing power monster that a lot of people have been lusting for as a, a follow-on to the Mac Pro design, but rather a rethinking of the Mac Pro product. I wrote an editorial a while back about how, you know, we don't really need internal drives anymore now that we have Thunderbolt. There are Thunderbolt expansion boxes. People are not necessarily looking for this big 40-pound monster anymore. It's a 10-year-old design. It started with the Power Mac G5 in 2003 and hasn't changed, essentially. But, you know, with miniaturization, though, yes, I think Apple can take the same capability, three PCI slots and four drives, I mean, Mm -mm. yes, we can get external Mm -mm. drives with Thunderbolt. They could stick all that in a case half as large. Well, if you didn't have a case with four drive slots or bays and you did a Thunderbolt daisy chain, you could probably cram, you know, a 16-core Super Xeon from 2013 with 16 gig of RAM in, you know, in something the size of, you know, a small PC desktop these days, you know, maybe 12 inches tall, four inches wide. No more optical drive, so that gives you design latitude. I'll tell you what, why don't you take a look at a Macintosh 2CI? Oh, and you think it had expansion for what? I have one. (laughs) Okay, so what could you put in there? Like three expansion (laughs) cards? There was certainly room for a couple of hard drives in there, although people didn't use it that way. It was a lot of open air. So I still believe that Apple could make a Mac Pro half the size, a new Mac Pro half the size and weight of the current model and have all the expansion in there. The issue is heat. Convective cooling is very good. It allows the heat to go from bottom to the top. Uh, When you have these pizza box designs, you have to have a very strong fan because you can't take advantage of the upwards convective cooling. So I'm not thinking pizza box. We're not talking about pizza box 1U, 3U. We're talking about the size of a Mac 2CI. Yes, and with some very good fans and uh, some powerful processors and a lot of memory. But then the question comes up, you know, what is this thing designed to do? Is, that, is Apple going to cater to that science, research, supercomputing, academic university market that we just talked about? We don't think so. We're thinking that this new thing that Tim is talking about that's going to be really cool is going to be a product that enhances and supports Apple technologies in Apple's unique way, if you understand what I mean. There are initiatives that Apple works on, uh, iCloud, iTunes, home servers, time machine. You know, if you think about what Apple does when the product comes out, you go, oh, yes, now I see what they're after. And these are part of the, you know, the modern technologies that Apple's building and supporting. It's not just going to be a Unix uh, computational box for the geek. I think it's going to be custom designed to support Apple's initiatives, whatever that means right now. Okay, so Apple's got Thunderbolt. Apple's got the ability to still use Xeons in there. There's no reason not to use Xeons. There's no reason not to have the same memory expansion capability. And they can still get most of the guts of the existing model into a case half the size and slim it down, use Apple's more sophisticated cooling techniques to keep it cool, keep it from catching fire or having a coolant leak like you did with the Power Mac G5. You remember they got the ones with liquid cooling, and some of those things would leak out. And what did it mean when it leaked out? Well, it meant that the computer was history. Forget about what happens to your carpet because you probably have it on the floor. The computer was probably history. So that's where you go with that. I still think they could do it that way. There was the other theory, of course, that Dan Frakes and I talked about, Dan Frakes from Macworld Magazine, about the mythical Mac mid-range mini tower, which 
spoke of what would basically be almost like a headless iMac, like an iMac without the screen, but then maybe with a few enhancements like extra drive bays, the better processors, etc. So yes. Apple can go into a lot of directions here and still give content creators all the computing power they get now, all the flexibility. It doesn't have to be the Unix box, but it can be a really high-powered PC. One of the lingering concerns that I have, and maybe the some of the other guys in the in the Mac writing community know more about it, but uh, I haven't seen anything to suggest that that this is not a, a concern. Apple likes low power. Apple's been using ARM chips. Uh, there's been rumors about you know how Apple might switch to these low power chips as opposed to the Intel chips. If Apple did that uh, for a next generation Mac Pro. What you might lose is the virtualization hardware that's in these Intel superchips. I don't see mean- Apple doing it. I do not see it because one of the reasons is not just because of the processor power, but having to redesign OS X to fit on ARM processors. That well, might be happening. That might be why it's called OS X, not Mac OS X, but I don't see that happening. I really don't. Uh, it's just something that I think about. I keep track of and watch. Yeah. Yeah, because one of the things that I want to talk about is iOSification, and recently I wrote an article about how to get around that. And we have Mountain Lion coming out with more iOSification, and let's talk about that next before we get back to the hardware, and for example, the MacBook Pro with Retina Display. And as we mentioned in a previous segment on the show with Abram Pilch, it's the least repairable of almost any Mac in recent memory. We have John Martellaro of the Mac Observer. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many files formats, I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. Gold. It's like nothing else on Earth. From the Romans through the Renaissance, from the Industrial Age to the Space Age, gold has weathered the test of time. For 6,000 years, gold has remained the ultimate store of wealth. According to the World Gold Council and the U.S. Mint, demand is at an all-time high. The stage is being set for the reemergence of gold as the common-sense alternative to a fiat paper currency that gets weaker every day. Midas Resources is proud to offer the hard-hitting report that arms you with the truth you need to protect you and your family from the Fed's plans for your hard-earned money. Don't gamble with your future. Call Midas Resources today and ask for your free copy of As Good As Gold. Call 1-800-686-2234. 
837 for the report the Fed hopes you'll never see. As good as gold can be yours by calling 800-686-2237. If you have ever thought about owning gold, you must read this report. Call Midas today at 800-686-2237. Emergency Essentials has Mountain House deals in June. Going on now, Emergency Essentials, the 24-year leader in emergency preparedness supplies, does it again. With up to 25% off Mountain House foods. Don't miss these savings. All Mountain House number 10 cans are 20 to 25% off during the month of June only at BeFrepared.com. Mountain House foods have superior taste and a scientifically proven 25-year shelf life because they start with fresh or frozen foods, then cook, prepare, and Finally, freeze-dry them. All the goodness, flavor, and taste are locked in as if handmade from scratch. Mountain House, the same great meals enjoyed by campers and outdoorsmen the world over. Hurry, now through June 30th. Call 800-999-1863 to experience exceptional customer service and the BePrepared.com low price guarantee. That's 800-999-1863. The choice is clear. Be unprepared or BePrepared.com. The food storage industry leader has done it again. Introducing FDG Clubs and Survival Bucks from the Freeze-Dry Guy. For over 39 years, the Freeze-Dry Guy has served various government agencies and the private sector with the finest in storable foods and emergency rations. If you've wanted to build emergency food supplies but couldn't afford it, now you can. Go to freezedryguy.com, click on products, and look for the Freeze-Dry Guy Clubs to pay as you go. Now you can build food storage without going into debt. Choose from a payment range of $95 to $450 per month our clubs work with everyone's budget plus when you join freeze dry guy clubs you'll get additional rewards for example this month get 10 percent back in survival bucks on all purchases in the freeze dry guy product line plus free shipping within the lower 48 states on any order amount hurry go to freeze dry guy.com or call 866-404-3663 that's freeze dry guy.com or call 866-404-3663 the freeze dry guy the best you can buy Welcome back to Tech Night Out Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, it's Uncle Gene. Yeah, it's him. With John Martellaro of the Mac Observer, I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. We started with the Mac Pro, the non-announcement, and then Tim Hook saying, yes, there will be one. And we speculate, what direction will Apple take? And John was starting to think of a more consumer-oriented desktop computer. I was saying, they'll make it smaller. And that's going to be most of the change right there, maybe add some of the newer technologies. In any case, the other question is OS X. Not Mac OS X, it's officially OS X now. We had Lion in 2011. We had Snow Leopard in 2009. So maybe until February of this year, we said, you know what? The next Mac OS is going to be out in 2013. So in February, Apple says, okay, here's Mountain Lion due this summer in July, therefore almost perfectly on the anniversary of Lion, and it continues the iosification of the Mac. So where do we go? Is this the beginning of annual OS upgrades for Apple? Uh, That I am not sure about. Uh, Of course, iosification refers to the uh, user interface merger of OS X and iOS. Uh, Apple is making uh, customers very happy with the uh, user interface on the iPads and on the iPhones, uh, the touch interface, uh, the design of Apple's apps, 
And we can see that percolating into Mac OS X, especially in Mountain Lion. The, uh, some of the uh, cross apps, uh, mail and uh, notes and uh, the address book are starting to look very similar, if not the same. The remaining question is, how far is Apple going to go with this? And is it going to get to the point where we can no longer uh, happily use OS X in the way that we had been using it? For example, you know, Apple eliminated uh, Save As from its flagship apps and backed us into a corner and pissed some people off with the loss of Save As and confused a lot of people. Uh, the story is, is that they're bringing it back, but only with a... a Complicated keyboard incantation in Mountain Lions. So it's being Command Shift S. S. It's Command <laughs> right. Option Shift S. So <laughs> right. it's it's not that bad. Right. I mean, it could yeah. be worse. But the point is, Apple it's listened. Not gonna be in the menu. It's not going to be in the menu item. So yeah, but Apple listened. So so and they do not want to stray too far from the traditional Mac way of doing things. I mean, calling iChat messages instead. That's okay. You know, well, calling address book contacts with somewhat of a new interface, that's not a bad idea. I think part of what they're doing is you go back and forth to your iOS devices and then to your Mac, and as soon as things change drastically, you have to look and you have to think, well, it's messages here, it's address book here, it's contacts there. You don't have to think about it. The apps become more uniform. Gene, that's just naming. I mean, there's some fundamental changes. This this business with uh, Save As... Uh, sandboxing where an app owns uh, its documents and other apps can't see them. We did some munging around and we discovered that XGrid is now missing from Mountain Lion. But, you know, what Java is, is not installed by default. There's well, a, that's a been a while. Java hasn't been installed by default for a while, nor is Flash. But what is XGrid? XGrid is a uh, parallel processing tool that allows you to connect multiple Macs in a research uh, or academic environment and have them all working together on a problem. It was uh, developed in the days when Apple was very much into high-performance computing, uh, 2000, 345 era, and it's been in Mac OS X as a freebie ever since. And it looks like it's going to be gone uh, in in Mountain Lion. So, so this iAssification is not only just uniformity in naming, but it, it seems to be a systematic uh, reduction of the legacy Unix tools, which is starting to annoy some power users. And my readers occasionally have written me and said, well, you know, we're switching over to these big Linux boxes with multiple cores and lots of memory and high-end graphics processors, and we're running Linux to get our scientific work done. And uh, we're just not very happy with the direction Apple's going. I understand the dispute, and we have to hope that Apple knows what they're doing But what I see not using those Unix tools from observing Lion and Mountain Lion is that Mountain Lion appears to be a more finished product, that what Apple tried to do in Lion was part of the job. They made it work better in Mountain Lion, and by adding this complicated option for Save As, at least they're addressing some of the concerns. Well, Well, they're they're also continuing a phased enforcement of uh, the sandboxing. For example, uh, Ecamm software has this very nice tool called Card Raider that allows you to insert your camera card and extract uh, videos and photos that you have deleted. People love the product. 
But as we know, the, the mock kernel requires root privileges to access hardware, and uh, you can do that in Lion, but uh, one of the developers, uh, Glenn uh, Aspillay, discovered here at WWDC Week that that's not going to be allowed in Mountain Lion. So his, yeah, but the his, app developers aren't forced to sandbox. That's only if you're going to be in the Mac App Store. If you sell it independently and you get Apple's security certificate, you're not forced to follow all the requirements of sandboxing. That's true, but we did a lot of developer uh, interviews last year, and we're doing more this year. And what we're hearing is is that Mac customers are very tuned to the Mac App Store, and they think that that's the place to go. And the developers are making a lot of money there and getting the customers to come to their website, figure out a solution, Google a problem, digest the process and then go uh, and find the solution outside of the Mac App Store is a uh, is a process that is perhaps beyond a lot of users. I understand Apple wants to have sandboxing because of security. They're more hung up on security and certainly they have to be paranoid over the flashback virus that impacted an estimated 600,000 Macs. So we understand Apple wants to basically double down on the OS but as you say, they're going to have to consider ways to open up a few things. They have something called entitlements, which is like a privilege that you get that you could use certain system resources. Now, if they're not sufficient, well, you look at a program like Wiretap Studio or Audio Hijack Pro. These are products that capture audio from different apps like Skype. So, for example, we're using Skype for networking, as a lot of radio and TV shows now do. So what I have to do is use an app that is not sandboxed because the app is going to capture the audio from Skype and mix it in with my analog microphone mixer. So in a sense, with that, Apple is causing developers' conniptions. Yeah, but you mentioned something very interesting there, and and that is uh, that Apple is now offering developers a certificate so that they can digitally sign their app outside of the Mac App Store. That's very important. That means that when you download the app from their website, uh, it'll be authenticated through the operating system and you won't have to worry about a rogue software uh, from just any old site. So if you trust the site, you trust the developer, you download their app, it's digitally signed by Apple, there's a lot of confidence there. The trick is to find that website, understand the solution that they offer, and go get it. And that's still a little bit of a kind of an incoherent industry, whereas you know people can do searches in the Mac App Store and, and find solutions. And when they find it, they'll seize on it right away. They won't look outside the Mac App Store. They'll think, especially if you're a newcomer to the Mac, well, it's like the App Store on the iPhone. It's the only place to go. Exactly. We have the only person who has the knowledge today on this episode, and that is John Martellaro, of the Mac Observer, of course, on the other segments, other people felt they had the knowledge, but we give them all their due. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first-class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web apps such as WordPress, 24-7 support. You can save over $55. You want to know how? Go to DreamHost.com radio, DreamHost.com radio. Web 
whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. Now at DeseretFoodStore.com, sign up for a one-month supply of delicious food for only $99 with free shipping. That's right, only $99. Gourmet restaurant-style meals with a 30-year shelf life. Packaged in heavy-duty Mylar bags for easy transport and freshness. Meals like stroganoff, lasagna, teriyaki, five-bean chili, granola pancakes, and much more. Visit DeseretFoodStore.com, spelled D-E-S-E-R-E-T, FoodStore.com, or call 801-444-1444. Food for now, food for life. 37 things to hoard. Do you have the 37 crucial food items you can't survive without? When disaster hits and mobs go crazy grabbing food off the shelves, your family may be without food or waiting in long food lines. Prepare now at 123survivalplan.com. That's 123survivalplan.com. Many people don't have these 37 food items. Learn what you need to hoard now at 123survivalplan.com. Watch the video over 1 million people of you to discover the 37 food items that will sell out first when disaster strikes at 123survivalplan.com. Survival is not about the end of the world. It's not about a hypothetical plane crash or the latest violet storm. Survival is about the satisfaction of knowing you can take care of yourself and your family in any situation, anytime, anywhere. CampingSurvival.com was started in 1956. No, not the dot-com part, the survival part. CampingSurvival.com has over 17,000 urban, wilderness, and preparedness items. Supreme customer service. Very low shipping and no games. We look around to make sure we have the lowest prices and CampingSurvival.com is 100% USMC veteran owned. Don't base your survival on the latest spring up on the internet company. Do business with an authority on survival. CampingSurvival.com Use coupon code GCN at checkout and CampingSurvival.com will take 5% off your order. CampingSurvival.com Confidence born of preparation. Introducing a Diabetes Breakthrough, an easy, natural, organic way to bring relief to diabetics. Introducing MDS Forte, a concentrated super strength extract formulated for those who are looking for relief. What can MDS Forte do for you? MDS Forte reduces glucose levels safely and effectively, reduces cholesterol and triglyceride levels, increases HDL or good cholesterol while reducing LDL or bad cholesterol. MDS Forte reduces A1C, improves eyesight and circulation to the limbs, and helps with weight loss. Is non-toxic, caffeine-free, 100% natural, 100% organic, and comes with a 100% money back guarantee waiting for the side effects disclaimers with mds forte there are none order a 25-day treatment of mds forte by calling 213-405-5355 213-405-5355 or visit bestbloodsupport.com that's bestbloodsupport.com for mds forte a diabetes breakthrough what's going to happen next you never know when you're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. John Martellaro, the Mac Observer, joining us. 
And we've been talking about the WWDC and the ramifications about the iosification of the Mac, about the impact of sandboxing, how this is going to cause developers conniptions if they want to include very important features in their apps. What's going to happen if someone cannot sell the app in the Mac App Store and more and more Mac users don't look elsewhere for the product? What's going to happen to those businesses? In any case, let's look at the developer reaction. Now, we gathered developers are having concerns about the changes Apple's making. But what about the developer reaction to the WWDC? I mean, they sold the thing out in less than two hours. So there's well, obviously minutes. an incredible amount of interest. 43 minutes from what Phil Schiller said in his slide. It was yeah. just instantaneous. Yes, yes. It's almost to the point where you can no longer manually sign up for WWDC. You have to have some sort of automated agent that scours the Internet and gets an alert and logs on at 530 in the morning and gets you registered. <laughs> it's like seeing a concert attraction. You know, a famous rock band is in there and you want to get in there for Lady Gaga first. I think, and we speculated upon this with someone else on the show, Apple should have a lottery system. And the way it works is that you sign up for the WWDC. You sign for the WWDC. We understand Apple can't make it much bigger because a lot of their staff is going there, and they're not just going to hire people to help developers at a conference. They have to limit the number of people. So Apple sets up a lottery system. You sign up, and then you get first digs. So they write back saying, okay, you got it. Do you want it? Place your order. If not, we'll give it to somebody else. Doesn't that sound fair and balanced? No, I don't like that idea at all. Okay, what would your suggestion be? I think it's fine the way it is. I think what Apple is doing is they're saying, uh, you have to be very alert. You have to be clued into the technologies. You have to have a network on Twitter. You have to have software tools that will send you alerts. You have to have your iPhone rigged so that at 5.30 in the morning, you'll get a alert message that will log you on. And you're so fast with your typing that with the little tiny keys, you can log on to the developer website and get registered on your phone while you're laying in bed 5.30 in the morning. And basically, if you're not sharp enough and you're not quick enough and you're not technologically savvy enough to do all that, then you don't really belong in WWDC. You don't deserve it. to it say, sounds to you know, me like you're being almost sarcastic. Like, that is a yeah, sarcasm, right? Yeah. But, but so there's some truth to that. I mean, you don't, you don't want to, to send out a, a lotto to some uh, person who's not going to be wildly crazy but just wants to, you know, kind of be part of it. And they'll say, yeah, yeah, I'll take it. I'll come. And then they kind of hang around. Yeah, you but know, it doesn't cost nothing. It's a fairly our, decent expenditure to send the crew out there if you have more than one developer. And also to pay the plane fare if you're traveling from another part of the country or world. You know, it's not a casual investment to go to one of these things. So everybody who was really energetic and everybody who was really important got in, and I don't see it changing. Speaking of changing, all the predictions about a retina display for Macs after, of course, the iPad 3rd edition or iPad 3 or 3rd generation iPad or new iPad with the iPhone 4S. Now we have the retina display So Apple introduces one MacBook Pro. Again, good reviews, except, of course, it costs $400 more than a comparably equipped regular 15-inch MacBook Pro. We understand the cost of solid-state memory, extra video RAM, extra memory, and, of course, that display. So what's Apple missing? Nothing at all. I mean, that display is 2880 by 1800. 
that's uh, more pixels than the 27-inch uh, cinema display. Uh, it's uh, the kind of thing that gets people excited again about uh, MacBook Pros. And it brings up a very interesting discussion that we had at the Mac Observer about people's partitioning of their products and mobile products. You know, a lot of people are adopting iPads for mobile use. Ted Landau went on a big trip recently and he took just his iPad and he said it did just fine. And a lot of my friends and readers are switching to a different mix. They're switching to a high-powered desktop because they're tired of uh, anemic notebooks. And then they have their iPad. But what happened here was is that it was very clear that there's still a very strong and vibrant professional market of mobile users, video editors, and other professionals who need high-powered processors and great displays to be on the move. And and so Apple's continuing to uh, press that market and do very well and embarrass the competition and basically chew up what's left of the notebook market in this post-PC era. Well, what's left of the premium notebook market? I mean, they'll still sell the $400 models, but they're junk. So I thought that was interesting. The other thing I thought was interesting was that, of course, there's no optical drive. This is sort of a super uh, MacBook Air. There's no Ethernet. So it, it's sort of a, a monster MacBook Air in, in the sense that the MacBook Air used to be the premium business tool for the business traveler. When it first came out, remember that? Nobody could afford it, and it was kind of underpowered, but it was really cool and really thin and threw into your briefcase really nice and was light. So you didn't have to lug around this five-and-a-half-pound monster in your backpack along with the charger and everything. So now, guess you what? You have a four-and-a-half-pound monster or less of a monster. Well, the MacBook Air, guess what? It's now the entry level, as emphasized by, by Phil Schiller. You know, this is the consumer you know, level MacBook, uh, which is really interesting. Of course... I'm not surprised the 17-inch was dropped because, you know, getting a 17-inch retina display is not realistic, and they probably weren't selling that well. Um, so uh, Apple's kind of munging around finding the sweet spot, um, you know, going with the flow and the sales. And while it's not the principal objective, you know, it's not in these days of the iPad 3, it really isn't a bad idea to have a MacBook Pro to drool over to. I know a lot of people who are really excited about it. Well, in this case here, I think the MacBook Pro with the sharper screen is in many ways very close to the 17-inch model. Remember, we have 15.4 inches and we have 17 inches. The diagonal measurement difference is 1.6 inches, which really isn't that much. Yeah, yeah, it's not. And so um, why not just you know stay with the 15-inch? I think the 17-inch size is dead for all time. Obviously, obviously. And being that the screen is so much sharper, I think this is a worthy compromise. Now, I haven't played with one. I wonder, have you? No, I haven't had my hands on wet one yet. I will this weekend. I'm not surprised this is going to be really a good mix here, an excellent mix of a product. So I have no problem with it at all, and I'm going to want to try it, and I hope to soon. Obviously, the slightly higher price may be an impediment to some. Also, as you say, it doesn't have wired Ethernet. You'll have to use a Thunderbolt to Ethernet adapter. It doesn't have FireWire. Again, right. the same difference. On the right. other and hand, if you no dump ex- your FireWire drives, you can get a 3-terabyte USB 3.0 it's no drive. Accident. Well, yeah, but Apple compensated for that. They gave a boost, gave a boost by having a FireWire... <laughs> 
I don't use three USB for my drives at all. Yeah, but USB three point Apple boosted yeah, Thunderbolt. So we understand that if you still have FireWire eight hundred drives, you can get a twenty nine dollar adapter Thunderbolt to FireWire eight hundred. On the other hand, right now you have USB three point which is much faster in FireWire, being supported in the MacBook Pro with Retina display, and you can get a three terabyte USB three point drive for two hundred dollars. So maybe just dump your old FireWire eight hundred drives. Buy new drives. What do you think of that? Well, I don't think people will dump their drives, but I think they'll start uh, filtering in um, new drives, uh, a mix uh, maybe of inexpensive USB 3.0 drives. Um, uh, I think it's really cool that Apple uh, is going with USB 3.0. I think it's one of those practical considerations that is a byproduct of Tim Cook's management. Uh, I, I have this... Suspicion, I can't prove it, but I just have this gut feeling that Steve Jobs would have never allowed USB 3.0 on any of his computers because Thunderbolt uh, is the future. But clearly Thunderbolt's been slow out of the gate, and it needs some boost. I'll tell you what, meantime, we always a get a boost. USB i got to say this. We always get a boost. We have John Mortolero of the Mac <laughs> Observer. He's back for one more segment of the Tech Night Out Live. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. G-C-N. Great talk radio starts here. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack of the Rockwoods. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Attention, information in this one-minute message could save your life. Don't wait for the next emergency to happen. Act now to be prepared. Now, more than ever, civilians and communities must communicate with family, friends, and neighbors in the event of civil unrest, natural disasters, or other emergencies. That's why there's CivilDispatch.com. CivilDispatch.com is a universal system that can be used for a wide array of urgent notification alerts. Weather emergencies, civil unrest, emergency responders, amber alerts, school or business closings, any need-to-know situation. CivilDispatch.com is an emergency dispatch communication system, allowing anyone to quickly and easily send and instantaneously track emergency email and text alert notifications. CivilDispatch.com gives you the power of enterprise alerting without the enterprise cost. Don't find yourself unprepared. Learn more and become a member at CivilDispatch.com. That's CivilDispatch.com. Civilian Emergency Dispatch System. Peace through preparedness. You don't need to be a bodybuilder to benefit from whey protein. Besides building muscle, whey protein supports glutathione production, your body's number one antioxidant and detoxifier. 
helps with weight loss, and may help with strength, energy, youthful appearance, and a healthier libido. Why is it that no one is reporting these broad-spectrum benefits from typical whey protein powders? Because all but one of them are damaged by heat, filtration, or chemicals. Fresh Liquid Whey has been used for hundreds of years to restore health to the sick and youth to the aged. One World Whey is a brand new protein powder that retains the broad-spectrum health-giving benefits of fresh raw whey. Hundreds of people have reported tremendous improvements in all aspects of health. Kids and adults love the flavor and the effects. Call 888-988-3325. Mention coupon code KNOCKOUT and you'll receive a free tube of knockout pain cream with your order, which eliminates soft tissue pain in 10 minutes for 90% of users. Call 888-988-3325 or visit OneWorldWay.com. That's OneWorldWhey.com. Love gardening but don't love seeing your hard work destroyed by wildlife? Then use the number one most effective deer and rabbit repellent you can buy, PlantSkid. PlantSkid repellent protects gardens, trees, and landscaping by emitting an odor that browsing animals associate with predators. So animals avoid plants before they nibble, not after. PlantSkid is made in the U.S. from non-toxic, 100% organic, environment, and pet-friendly ingredients. Other repellents wash off in the rain. Not PlantSkid. It's guaranteed to outlast all other repellents. PlantSkid was the first animal repellent to be OMRI listed organic and now comes in liquid spray, powder concentrate, or easy-to-use granular. Just sprinkle around your garden. For proven protection from deer, rabbits, squirrels, and other small rodents, use PlantSkid. Member tested and recommended by the National Home Gardening Club. Find a dealer near you at PlantSkid.com. That's PlantSkydd.com. Ask about our new vole repellent when you call 800-252-6051. That's 800-252-6051. PlantSkid, proven plant protection, guaranteed or your money back. Live with Gene Steinberg. It's the Tech Night Owl. Because you never know what's going to happen next. John Martellaro from the Mac Observer. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. Theory being here that maybe Steve Jobs would not have approved USB 3.0. On the other hand, it's a good way to dump FireWire with a faster protocol because that and Thunderbolt, they make up for worthy replacements as more and more USB 3.0 devices come out. And now that Thunderbolt is beginning to appear on Windows hardware, we're going to see more of those products too. Absolutely. I am looking forward to personally a Thunderbolt raid box uh, from uh, my favorite company, Otherworld Computing. I know Promise has one. Um, I'm toying with the idea of getting one for review. Uh, RAID 5s with Thunderbolt and SSDs instead of rotating disks would be so cool to have as your master family home or laboratory server backup with the RAID 5 technology and the redundancy, no moving parts. It's going to be expensive. But uh, those prices will come down in time, and I think that's uh, going to be routine in about 18 months as opposed to very expensive right now. So Apple saw the future once again, ditching the optical drive that very few need, but still offering options. Like I said, the adapter for FireWire and wired Ethernet, the USB-based SuperDrive. But the other thing here is there's this new Wi-Fi technology, 802.11ac. We're seeing routers out there already. It's not on the new Macs. I was kind of thinking they would be. Maybe the chips for computers are not ready yet. They can do it in routers, but not in computers. I haven't done uh, what you need to do, and that is kind of 
find the spokesman for the industry and the chip supply levels and find out, you know, what dates they expect to be able to start delivering the chips in quantity. Uh, I think you're onto something there. I think, um, you know, Buffalo has an 802.11 AC uh, router out. Uh, they're starting to appear in, in low quantities. People don't buy as many routers uh, or replace their end routers as they would be buying computers. So, you know, if, if Apple can't get them and they're not putting them in the new products, that's certainly a sign that uh, they can't be produced in the quantity that Apple needs. They may also find them to be too buggy. So maybe the next generation of chips this fall will have it. Perhaps, for example, the next iMac will have it, and then they will filter into Macs over the next year or so. Yes. The reason I mention it is 802.11ac gives you performance roughly on par with gigabit Ethernet. So you can be unwired if everything else is compatible. Yeah, that's going to be great for uh, people who um, have to uh, set up a remote uh, station uh, for their Apple TV uh, and get good throughput from their cable modem over to their TV for, you know, high-definition television. Yeah, and, you know, uh, that loss of Ethernet in the uh, MacBook Pro Retina uh, in concert with Phil Schiller's comment about how, you know, it's a wireless world. Yeah, that's a that's a sea change there. Pretty soon, uh, you know, our wires are going to be gone. One of the things that really encouraged me was, you know, I've been writing some artic- articles about IPv6, uh, with the assistance of both Comcast and Time Warner. And uh, we were concerned that uh, the uh, airport utility one for the iPad, iOS, and the airport utility six for the Mac was missing the uh, control over IPv6. And uh, we don't know what went on there, but mysteriously, uh, airport utility 6.1 has the IPv6 reference and control and the advanced options. So we're very happy to see that back. Uh, with people uh, this year uh, moving more and more towards IPv6, which we talked about a few weeks ago, right? We did. And all our sites, by the way, theparacast.com, technightout.com, rockoys.com, they're all being distributed now also on IPv6. So we are up there and up to date. Excellent. Of course, none of my local hardware handles it. I have Cisco Linksys router an EA4500 that supposedly supports IPv6, but I'm not sure about the cable modem. We'll have to see. It's coming. Yeah, um, I almost Max kind of think that Max. Apple might not have put it in version 6 of airport utility, not because of a conspiracy, but because maybe they ran to a bug at the last minute and said, you know, get this feature out, we'll restore it in an update. That happens. Yeah, and when you do that, um, you create all sorts of uh, misperceptions in the community. Uh, you know, was it just uh, they were hurried? Was there a bug in their hardware? Was it because they um, had lost uh, interest in promoting IPv6 just at the time when we had IPv6 World Launch Day on June 6th? Uh, you know, it really had the community in a tizzy, especially the Comcast people who were wondering what was going on. And, of course, Apple doesn't say what's going on. They don't tell you that, oh, you know, there was a bug in there and we really needed to get it fixed, and so we pulled it out, but now it's restored, so don't worry about it. Besides, IPv6 was strictly for the power users out there. Regular people still don't know quite what it is, so Apple, I think, is ready. It's just a question of where it's going to go. Now, in terms of filtering all this joy from the high end to the lower end with the retina display, there's a report, you've probably seen it, saying that by fall... 
there'll be a 13-inch MacBook Pro with Retina display. And maybe it's because the yields are just not high enough yet for two models. That ultimately, as the prices come down on the flat panels, maybe next year or so, they will replace the entire MacBook line. Yes, and I believe that. One of the articles I saw recently, uh, not that article, but uh, an article that talked about Apple's strategies pointed out that Apple has a clear focus about what they want to do with the technology, and then they are able to enact that strategy without too much uh, uh, difficulty. They have massive buying power, so they'll go out and they'll they'll approach uh, one of the Asian manufacturers and they'll say, you know, we want... 500,000 of these uh, retina displays of this size and we'll pay up front and uh, cash <laughs> or however the terms go and they lock up the supplies of these products. And consider, by the way, pack. the price is reputed to be about 140 to $150 per panel times mm-hmm. 500,000. Yeah, you have to get into scientific notation uh, to do that. Um, and, and so what happens is is that when the competition that didn't have that vision for what they wanted to do or that understanding of the customer decides that they want to do that too, they end up having to stand way back in, light, in line with hat in hand before they can get their hands on equivalent technology. So it makes them look really bad. And just because Apple can write a check for, oh, you know, $700 million, whatever, hey, no big deal. You know, Apple I remember a check Apple wrote, what was it, a couple of years ago? They wrote a $3.6 billion check <laughs> for some hardware. It's like you and I writing checks for $25. <laughs> I mean, the amount of money that goes through them is just amazing. And you understand now where it's going because in the end, the consumer benefits. Because a retina display, what PC maker was going to add that one? When were they going to do it? Would they ever do it? No, because they're rushing to the bottom. And if Apple doesn't show them new technology, they're just going to sell junk. Look at the MacBook Air. It became successful. So, of course, Intel, they couldn't do it themselves. HP, big HP, bigger than Apple in terms of personnel. Dell, couldn't do it themselves. Intel had to create an Ultrabook reference platform so they could build MacBook Air clones. They couldn't do it themselves. They still can barely meet Apple's price. And strangely enough, they're not very good sellers. People who you know, want that kind you, of notebook buy a MacBook Air. When you, when you sell those commodity products uh, for low prices, you miss the opportunity for unintended consequences and serendipity. During the keynote, Phil Schiller showed the, the MacBook Pro Retina display. In the corner of the display, you can have a full 1080p video and plenty of room left over. So how does this impact video professionals? It's going to be miraculous, and now if they can be persuaded to go back to Final Cut Pro 10, maybe they'll do it. Hey, where can we find more of the stuff that John Martellaro does? You want to come to www.macobserver.com, and if you are an Apple customer, that's where you want to be. And you want to know where we want you to be also? At technightowl.com. That's technightowl.com for my daily blog. Technightowl at Twitter to send us a tweet, technightowl. Also, we have another radio show out there. It's called The Paracast, and we've got this week Bryce Zabel. He created the TV show Dark Skies back in the 90s. Okay, all that conspiracy theory stuff. And he co-wrote a book called AD After Disclosure with, of course, Rich Dolan coming on The Paracast at Paracast.com. John Martellero, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Owl Live. It was a pleasure. 
The Tech Night Owl Live is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. We'll be back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel.